2: From the PacWest Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald-faced truth.
0: Well, the SEC is standing pat at 16 teams. The Pac-12, probably staying together if you trust the athletic directors. Trust? Can you trust anybody right now in college athletics? Uh, Television, I'll tell you on today's show how ESPN could end up the kingmaker in college football. Also, we'll visit with some big guests. We will go out to the Big 12 country. We will have a a guest on the program from Big 12 country that will talk to us about what the Big 12 teams are valuing. Mack Engel, columnist at the Fort Worth Star-Telegram, will be joining us. Also, later in the show, Matt Brown, who publishes a newsletter called Extra Points. It deals with the business of college athletics. Matt Brown will be joining us as well. Great show on this Monday. It was a quiet weekend for the Pac-12. I felt like things kind of settled down a little bit. I didn't make too much of it, though, because I thought, you know, look, the Pac-12's in this 30-day negotiating window. Maybe uh, there is going to be a little lull here while we wait to find out uh, what the offers are from ESPN and Fox, presumably, in this window, even if Fox uh, makes an offer. but I, So I didn't expect too much to happen. But I talked to a couple of athletic directors over the weekend who said that they had been meeting in the last week every day. They had meetings every day, and in some days of last week, the Pac-12 ADs met for multiple days. And the athletic director told me that he thought that having a quiet weekend was a sign that the members were sort of settling down and settling into the idea that they are sticking together. That stick-together sentiment, I think uh, the purists among us who would like to see the Pac-12 stay in their present form, uh, I think that is music to your ears if you are a purist out there who is a traditionalist, so to speak, uh, who wants to see the Pac-12 team's Uh, not splinter in 15 directions, but, you know, last week we talked about this. A couple of Pac-12 ADs told me late last week that they were confident that the remaining 10 members of the conference would stick together. Now, does that mean they stick together and then they partner with the ACC? Does it mean that they stick together and do they absorb some Big 12 teams or do they merge with the Big 12 conference? I think all those things are on the table, but I had a third AD this morning tell me, quote, I would agree with those other two ADs. The dialogue has been candid, productive, and forward-thinking. The numbers point to the remaining 10 sticking together. Now, the ADs were on standby over the weekend, and I wrote about this at johnconzano.com if you want to check it out. But the silence over the weekend, I think, was greeted by athletic department leaders as a mostly positive sign. There was nothing to discuss. Nobody was leaving. Oregon, Stanford, Washington seemingly in place. You saw the report today, maybe that the SEC is standing pat on 16. Uh, They expect to stay there. I think the Big Ten, unless Notre Dame comes out of left field and changes its mind, is going to stand pat as well. Now, the Pac-12, as I mentioned earlier, is in this weird 30-day exclusive negotiating period with ESPN and Fox. ESPN and Fox are holdover – Um, partnerships that are existing with the PAC-12. So part of the contractual agreement between the PAC-12 and ESPN and Fox now says that the PAC-12 conference has uh, an obligation to give those two entities a 30-day exclusive negotiating period. I believe we're five days into that, maybe six days into that, depending on when they uh, formally made that or announced that. Um, but it appears to me that ESPN is the likely player, the likely partner moving forward. I think Fox uh, has the Big Ten conference. Fox has uh, UCLA and USC in the next cycle. Uh, I think ESPN is the player who is most looking for Pacific time zone football games and and for those of you who don't think the West Coast matters, it doesn't matter when it comes to the playoff. I mean, clearly the, the entire Pacific time zone has been left out of the playoff. And the West Coast, everything from about Texas over, has been locked out of the playoff in uh, five of the last seven years. And But what you have here is you have ESPN as a likely bidder. And I am told by a television uh, expert uh, insider who is uh, talking to me about what is going to happen here that ESPN will make probably the first offer to the Pac-12 conference. Now, if the offer is a good offer, I think that will further incentivize these universities to stay together because right now it looks like they're galvanized. It looks like they have pulled together in the wake of USC and UCLA leaving. Now, there's some caveats here. I mean, there's some wild cards because I think one of the potential things that could happen that could be disruptive in this next cycle is I think that there are a couple of the programs that are sitting in larger markets. Uh, Washington comes to mind. Arizona State comes to mind. You're talking about Seattle and Phoenix now, and maybe even the Bay Area schools. I would expect that they're going to have a little bit of pushback within the conference uh, in that they may ask for some things that the other partners are, are not asking for. If you uh, sort of read the tea leaves or read between the lines, when USC and UCLA left the conference, there was some frustration at both Los Angeles schools, with um, athletic directors and university uh, administrators saying that you know they they never had the Pac-12 reach out to them to ask about you know a larger share or should they be getting a multiple. Of what the other universities who are in smaller media markets are getting, and you know they express some frustration uh, on their way out the door here. So I do think that one of the wild card scenarios that could disrupt things in the Pac-12. Everybody's talking about Oregon and Washington potentially going to the Big Ten if Notre Dame uh, should uh, should say, hey, we're ready to join the Big Ten. I think the Big Ten would look to Washington or Oregon or maybe Stanford as a potential partner with Notre Dame to come in. Uh, But everybody's thinking about that. What nobody is thinking about is the possibility that Arizona State, in particular, uh, looks over and says, look, you just lost the L.A. schools. We could bolt to the Big 12 Conference. Uh, Even though I'm hearing all this solidarity, even though I'm hearing all this talk about the 10 sticking together, I do kind of wonder about Ray Anderson, the athletic director at Arizona State. He's a little squirrely, okay? And we have seen Ray Anderson do some controversial things. One, he is standing by his football coach, Herm Edwards. He seems to be in defiance about this. He is, uh, uh, you know, standing pat, digging in, uh, basically saying, I'm staying with Herm Edwards. If you believe that Herm Edwards didn't know what was going on uh, during uh, the early part of the pandemic when he had a bunch of Uh, NCAA inquiries into uh, how they were recruiting and hosting recruits on campus. Like, you know, Arizona State is apparently standing by Herm Edwards, throwing assistant coaches under the bus. Uh, Ray Anderson also had the the, uh, scandal that came out of the men's basketball program a couple of seasons ago where a booster was having some unwanted contact with some of the Uh, You know some of the spouses like Bobby Hurley's wife uh, was uncomfortable with things that were said or the booster kind of acting creepy and Ray Anderson was uh, Instead of stepping in there and saying to the booster get out of here You can't sit in the area where coaches wives sit," he kind of stood by the booster for a little bit It rankled some of the people in the men's basketball program and so he kind of operates by a different playbook and and in some ways, I think he thinks he's smarter than everybody else in the Pac-12 conference. I mean, we've seen that in general from Arizona State. Michael Crow, the president uh, at Arizona State, has been uh, one of these long-term, he was the biggest Larry Scott supporter in, among the band and and uh, I think really caused some harm to the Pac-12 in uh, thinking and operating the way that he operated and thought. But keep an eye on Arizona State because there's something that tells me that even though I'm hearing – all of this kumbaya stuff about how we're going to stay together and we're going to, you know, we're galvanized and, you know, we we feel like we have some good options. That's all true. But I also think like if you're Arizona State and you're sitting in the Phoenix media market, you know you're in the largest media market that is left in the Pac-12 conference, essentially, aside from Stanford and Cal, which I don't think would play this game. But you're in a nice-sized media market in Phoenix. Um, you, you might be inclined to play a little hardball inside your own conference. Uh, and you may be inclined to negotiate a little bit. While everybody's talking about pulling together, I kind of wonder if Arizona State at some point will, I think, try to leverage the fact that they're in a large media market by saying, hey, we want a little bigger piece of the pie or we want some concessions or we'll vote to the Big 12. And I think that is on the table Uh, And again, not hearing this from Ray Anderson. I asked today if Ray Anderson wanted to have a conversation. He does not want to have a conversation. I'm not hearing this from Ray Anderson. But I am thinking that Arizona State could be a little bit of an outlier as we talk about the rest of the conference kind of pulling together. Keep an eye on ASU uh, because I think they have operated in a way here that tells me that they may not be as married to the Pac-12 as the rest of the universities. I think Arizona, I think Utah, I think Colorado, and I think for the most part Arizona State are probably on board. But I won't speak for Ray Anderson, right? I'm not going to speak for the athletic director. I'm only reading how this guy has conducted himself while he's been the athletic director at Arizona State. Um, He he definitely thinks different, definitely marches to his own drummer, and I think in this case is probably – thinking along the lines of, uh, you know, what can Arizona State get here while the Pac-12 is worried about it splintering in pieces. Um, You know, the the other universities in the Pac-12 have to know that you've got the Seattle, Portland, Bay Area media markets, in addition to Phoenix and Salt Lake City. Now, if you're like Utah, Arizona, Arizona State, and Colorado, you would be trading Seattle, Portland, and the Bay Area for Dallas, Houston, and Orlando. Now, you may argue, hey, that gets you into Texas, but I think the West Coast TV markets matter to ESPN in particular. They have the ACC. They have the SEC. From a television strategy standpoint, the Pac-12's foothold in the Pacific time zone becomes a nice little advantage. And this quiet weekend, I think while it was... Uh, For the rest of us, kind of, you know, you know, you probably went to the park with your kids, or you barbecued, or you went swimming. I don't know what you did, but uh, I wasn't thinking too much about the quiet weekend meaning anything. But apparently, the ads who had been summoned for meetings every day last week kind of celebrated and noticed the break. They're meeting today again. They're getting an update from George Klyovkov. I will try to figure out what they're talking about, but I was told the waters have settled a little bit. Let's go to the phone lines. Uh, Coming up here in just a few minutes, we're going going to go to the great state of Texas where Mac Engel will be joining us, uh, columnist at the Fort Worth Star-Telegram. He's also a professor at SMU. I'll ask him about SMU. I'll ask him about the Big 12. But in the meantime, I'll take your phone calls. Let's go to HD, who's calling in from Tampa, Florida. HD, Tampa, one of my favorite cities.
3: Yeah, hey, John. How you doing? Doing well. Good, man. Listen, uh, to looking at this from uh, 30,000 feet, I mean, it, it seems pretty obvious um, that the ACC holds all the cards here because of the ACC network and, and their population. Population of the ACC footprint, that is every uh, every state that has a school in it, is 109 million. Population of the Pac-12 uh, is 69 million. Put together, that's 177 million people. That's more than half the people in, in the country. Now, obviously, all of them don't subscribe, but the bottom line is the ACC has 91 million people on their network, and the PAC has 15. So I, I think they're in deep negotiations and figuring yeah. out how they're going to split this up. I mean, you know, obviously the, the PAC schools spent two $3 million getting all the... Um, uh, technical things on campus to hook up to their network, which is obviously the same thing the ACC schools did in the last five years or so. But it, it's a no-brainer. Uh, I keep, you know, it, it would be well. How do you feel about if they would just do football and basketball on the network, and the other and the both conferences would kind of keep their other Olympic sports?
0: Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I think internal. HD, I think, that, I think that's what they're thinking. I don't think that when they talk about a loose partnership, they're talking about you know, the Pac-12 softball teams traveling to play against Clemson and North Carolina and Duke and whatnot. I think they're talking football and men's basketball in particular. I also think that it, in other sports there could be some one-off crossover games if it benefits both parties. Um, again, I'm a little allergic if I'm the Pac-12 to you know the alliance because of what happened with the Big Ten. But I think the ACC and Pac-12 make sense from ESPN's standpoint. And let's be real, ESPN is the vote that counts in this equation. ESPN is the one who um, uh, has the, has the glue, so to speak, to put this together. So I do think, though, the ESPN, if they're smart, They're looking over at what Fox is doing with the Big Ten, and they're going, okay, how do we respond to this? How do we sort of answer to this in the next decade? And to me, that answer is Pac-12 plus ACC partnership, and then looking at the Big 12 and going, hey, what do I want there? What do I want to survive? And, you know, let's go to Big 12 country. We'll do it next. I'll ask Mac Engel. He's a professor at SMU because I think SMU is potentially attractive to the Pac-12 as an addition. But we'll ask Mac Engel what he thinks about the mentality there in Big 12 country. How worried are they about that conference breaking up? Leave it here.
2: You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750
0: The Game. Our next guest is a columnist at the Fort Worth Star-Telegram, also an adjunct professor at SMU. He might be an Instagram model. He might be a former NBA center. That's what it says on his Twitter profile. But Mac Engle, he knows what the hell's going on. That's why we bring him on the show. How are you, man?
4: I'm great, John. Thank you very much for having me on. I've been a big admirer of yours for a while, and I appreciate the chance to be on your show. Thank you.
0: Yeah, I was looking at your Twitter, you know, prior to the show, and I saw a column you wrote about the Rangers, And you said that the MVP this season is not Corey Seager, which is going to cause people to be real upset. But you say the MVP is air conditioning. How hot is it in Dallas-Fort Worth?
4: Imagine the surface of the sun. (laughs) Now imagine it 10 degrees hotter. It is so ungodly hot here. I don't know why I live here. I I know you live up in the north. I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. I know seasonal mood disorder is a real thing because I grew up in the Midwest and I know about those winters and when those days when you're pretty convinced you're never going to see the sun, and I'm sure the great people in Portland and up in Seattle and all over Washington and Oregon can relate to seasonal mood disorder. I see the sun now right outside my bedroom, and I'm looking at it for what feels like the 98th consecutive day, and all I want is some patch of cloud cover. That's all I want. And I'm not going to get it until maybe mid-September.
0: Amanda. To... <laughs> Amanda. Now, did you grow up there? Or did someone, like, do you have someone to blame? Like, who moved there in your family?
4: Uh, good point. No, that's a great point because especially as you get older in life, the first thing you need is someone to blame for all of your life's failures <laughs> and bad decisions. And no, I, do, I can't blame this on my wife. And like any good marriage, it's built around casting and blaming her or them for whatever they did that put you in this spot. I can't blame her, I'd like to. I blame her for a lot of other things. I can't blame her for this. I can't blame her for mom and dad. I came down here because of graduate school and I was working at TCU when it was in a whack. That was back in 1996, that's how long ago it was. And they offered me free college education for a master's degree that I never used. Ever. So no, to answer your question now, when you call me like January 10th and it's 75 degrees, Brother, let me just tell how happy I'm going to be. But right now, right now, <laughs> July 11th at 5.23 p.m. Central Time, where it's 158 degrees, no, this sucks, and it's all my fault that I'm here.
0: Mac Angle, columnist, Fort Worth Star-Telegram with us. Uh, Big 12 country, let's start there because you're in the heart of it. Pac-12, I think, rocked a couple uh, Fridays ago or Thursdays ago when uh, USC and UCLA left. Uh, what, what was the reaction from uh, your time zone on that?
4: Uh, everybody, it's twofold. One, if you're a Texas A&M fan or you're a Texas fan, you're bulletproof, and whatever anybody else does doesn't matter to you because you are above the waterline forever. So college football could go down to ten teams, and you know as an A&M alum or fan or Texas alum or fan, you're fine even though neither of your teams ever win the national championship. It doesn't matter. For every other school in the state, Baylor, Texas Tech, TCU, SMU, Houston, and then the rest, there's like a 1,000 of them, it scared the hell out of everybody because everybody is just only too sure that this increased consolidation of wealth in college sports is going to exclude them. And they may be right. I, I don't know, John. I, I don't know. But I, to answer your question directly, uh, it scares a lot of people here for a lot of good reasons. I, I'm, I'm not as scared as just an observer who's been around for a long time. But I understand the fear, especially if you're at TCU or at SMU or Baylor, where you think, oh, no, they're, we're small school. That means we're vulnerable and they're going to leave us out. That's a justifiable fear. That, that, that fear is not without merit. But I think if you really look at it, if you really, really look at it, and I talked to Tim Brando today for a long time, uh, he's been a longtime college sports um, play-by-play guy who's been around been around the game forever. I, I, I think more changes are coming, like, and I followed your great work on it for the last few weeks, um, and I'd be worried about it, but I don't think it's panic time, like, oh, no, we're not going to be a part of this model. I don't think we're there yet, and I don't think we will be for a long time.
0: Where does SMU fit into this? Because I keep hearing, you know, again, that, that Dallas-Fort Worth television market would be awfully attractive, I think, to the Pac-12, and SMU comes up. Is, is SMU interested at all in possibly lining up with something like the Pac-12 or a blend of the Big 12 Pac-12?
4: A minute, they would run over all of their mothers if they would get it, because <laughs> even though SMU is a national I mean, we you know how this goes. SMU is a nationally renowned name in private education, higher education. There's a lot of very prominent, wealthy people who send their kids there. And that's a good school. It's in a really nice part of Dallas. But if you looked at it's up, and that applied department has poured money into that school. And if I think if you were to ask somebody nationally, you know, hey, gee whiz, where do you compare TCU to SMU? Forever and ever and ever, SMU is, you know, light years ahead of TCU in terms of national perception. But in the last 20 years, because of TCU's success in athletics, and certainly its place in the Big 12, it's closed the gap. And that's just the reality of it. And when it comes to marketing a university, nothing is more successful than a winning football team. If you're not an Ivy League school, North Carolina, Northwestern, Stanford, Berkeley, something like that, you've got to have a hook. And athletics is a hook for a lot of people, for a lot of schools. So I think SMU would do whatever it takes. I think the problem is, John, networks don't want them because even though it's in Dallas, it's a tiny school and its relationship with Dallas is like that of a very exclusive island uh, and a very, very exclusive part of, of Dallas, the neighborhood. And that's about it. I mean, it's a small, exclusive school. I don't know what the equivalent would that be in the Northwest. The one that jumps to mind is the University of Seattle. But SMU's name is so much different. Like the, the name the name Dallas isn't even in it. So I, I think SMU would do if, – if, if a network or conference said, hey, you could be in this Power 5 league, but the price tag $25 million, they would pay it yesterday. But I don't think they're going to be invited to that discussion unless something dramatic changes.
0: Mac Engel with us, columnist, Fort Worth Star-Telegram. Also, uh, you work as a professor at SMU. Uh, let me ask you, like, the Big 12 went through this with Texas and Oklahoma leaving, and it was probably a shock to the system. The Pac-12's dealing with some of that. What can you tell fans of, in the Pac-12 footprint about what the Big 12 has been through? Uh,
4: I would say it's the first thing you have to get over the hurt, and, and I know that sounds crazy, but there is hurt involved in this because you feel a certain sense of betrayal. I know people in Oklahoma, Oklahoma State felt it. I know people all... Oh, over the state of Texas felt that there was a lot of anger. And I'm not, and I'm sure you're going through it now with people at USC and UCLA. This is like real anger. This is like, you're going to hurt my my business. You're going to hurt my uh, the the amount of business that I I expect to do every year at my sports bar when USC comes to town or UCLA basketball or whatever. And that's scary for a lot of people. Um, I, I would say once you get over that, shock that your two signature members of a conference had left for more money, you will realize that it's going to be okay. You know, when I talked to Brando today, he mentioned something that I think I had, I forgot, which is there just remains this time zone bias against the West Coast. And I, some of it's real now more than ever because... You know, the West Coast has to play these games so late. And I, and I love Pac-12 after dark. I think it's one of the neatest things going. But it's late, and especially as you get older, like, I gotta, I'm going to fall asleep. And it's still, man, when I was there, like at a game, I went to a game at Utah a couple of years ago when they were playing Arizona State. That's one of the coolest things I've ever seen in college sports. It's a, it's a fantastic scene. I, I think once if you can get around that, and know that the West Coast and the Pacific time zone and the mountain time zone, too, offers a huge population and a lot of great student-athletes, it's going to be okay. Will it be what it once was? Probably not, but it's going to be okay. I I do think, John, my own personal feeling is that all these networks are not just going to throw in the toilet all of this inventory for just Big Ten and SEC games. That's not enough games. And, John, I wrote this the other day. I'm sorry. I know SEC marketing is great, and that's phenomenal, but I'm sorry. You can't tell me there's really that much difference between Kentucky versus Missouri on SEC Saturday than Oregon State versus Arizona State on Saturday at 8 o'clock. They're the same game. They're, They're the exact same game. The marketing is a little cuter, but they're the exact same game. You have about 8 to 10 teams every year that are cut above everybody else. And within those 8 to 10, you have about two or three that are better than everybody else. And in college football, it's always been that way. So I think what's going to happen is that the power five may become a power four or remain power five. The names are going to remain the names. They're going to expand the playoffs from four to eight, 12, or whatever it is. And then you have two conferences that make a lot more money than everybody else. And everybody else is above the waterline. And as long as those – 50 or 55 schools, have the affiliation with a Power 5 name and a spot in the college football playoff, we will go on with business as usual for however long, and that's just the way it's going to
0: be. Mack Angle, our guest, columnist at the Fort Worth Star-Telegram. The Big 12, there was initial reports that they might be interested in poaching some uh, of the Pac-12 teams. I've now sort of heard that it's the Pac-12 that may be looking. Do you think um, – there's a merger that could potentially form here, or does it have to be one cannibalizing the other?
4: I don't see why they That's a good question. Do you have to cannibalize? I hope not. I, I, I hope not. Um, I just don't see... And I hear the stuff about alliance and partnership and all this stuff. I, I... John, I don't see the... And I know you talked to the Fox guy the other day, the retired Fox executive. Yeah. You know, maybe he could speak to it, certainly with a lot more expertise than I could. Is there a genuine benefit to merging the Pac-12 and the Big 12? I understood last year, talking to people who knew, who really knew the Pac-12, when they were seriously considered expanding, there were two schools they had in mind, primarily because of the time zones and their access to their respective markets, TCU and Dallas-Fort Worth, and Houston, obviously in, in the city of Houston because they spent a ton of money on athletics. They've been pretty competitive, and they're in massive markets. And I understood the Pac-12's desire to be in, have a foothold in the central time zone. I, I don't think anybody could argue that, there, that that league doesn't have a need for, for some of that. I, I get that. But I, but beyond that, man, I don't know. I, I Does the Pac-10 really need to get bigger? Does it, I mean, it survived before. Do you really – I mean, I understand you got to have more inventory and You know, it's all about it. You know, all that revenue junk. If I'm the Big 12, yeah. You know, clearly they're going to lose two monsters. Uh, If you can get, if you can get those four schools, go for it. But in my mind, John, I go back to this one inescapable point: the point of college athletics was supposed to be a zero-sum, zero-net game. No one makes any money; they just break even. Well, it's changed a lot. If we're going to be a business, we just call it a business. And to hell with everything else. And what athletic directors really are are not athletic directors; they're ticket salesmen, and they're basically team presidents. That's what they are. So let's just call it that. But if not, then get away from the charade of academics and oh gee whiz, we're not sure if we're we're aligned with them academically. Go to hell. You don't care about that. And they don't. And so if it's not. Then, then get away from it. And in my mind, leave everything as is. They won't. But if the, if the Big Twelve is going to do anything. If they're going to do anything, then hook up with, you know, the power names that exist. I just don't see what anybody's going to do until Notre Dame makes up their minds. And my impression with that, that could be another year or two before they do anything. And you and I both know they may not do anything. But I think everybody's scared right now. They're talking to everybody and they're panicking. And we've talking to one high-ranking administrator of a prominent school here in Texas. He said, honestly, nobody knows what's going to happen because it changes from one minute to the next because none of us really knows.
0: What's right for TCU? Um, I think what's right for TCU is the
5: same as Baylor, Texas Tech, and Houston, which is,
4: by all means, remain as a power five name. You and I both know all those schools that I just mentioned are not going to win a national championship in football. They're not. Their best bet is get into the playoffs and just be close, that's, that's their best bet. And, my God, I looked at those good Washington teams that they had under Chris Peterson. They got their brains kicked in. I mean, look at look at the, the difference between one versus four in the college football playoff. It's, it's huge. I mean, and it's, it's not going to really change. It's always been kind of that way. So I think if you're TCU, Baylor, uh, Houston, and Texas Tech, your one goal. Your goal as a university is to retain the Power 5 brand because the gap that exists in perception between those schools and the group of five schools is massive. And when you're trying to reach students from all over the United States, you want to be able to sell Sports Saturday Fun. It's the thing that's baffling to me about UW and Oregon. Man, those guys can sell sports Saturday fun as well as any school I think or I thought maybe I'm on drugs but that's what you want to be able to sell because now more than ever when you're selling higher education no one cares about the library no one cares about business oh, our business school is great John every school in America says the business school is great <laughs> what kids are looking for it I think they do oh I'm a business major do you know what cost you it? no but I'm a business major great that means you can sell Be a pharmaceutical outstanding so what they're really looking for is moms and dads who feel good about sending their sons and daughters to this particular school. They're going to have a lot of fun. They're going to love the ducks. They're going to love the huskies. They're going to love the beavers. And they're going to have a lot of fun. They're going to get drunk with their friends. They're going to make friends for life. And they got a four-year degree that, said that really it was more about fun than it was higher education. Because the truth is, when it comes to higher education, thanks to the Internet, we can be uh, stratospherically intelligent at the charge of a Wi-Fi router for a month whatever that is, that, that's just the truth. So what you're really selling now is fun, four-year fun, and to do that, you've got to be associated with the highest brand in college sports, and that is Power Five. It ain't group of five, it's Power Five. And as long as those schools that I that you asked me about have that, they're fine, and that's their goal.
0: Mac Engel, our guest, Fort Worth Star-Telegram columnist, also wrote a book called Pigskin Rapture, Four Days in the Life of Texas Football, you can find that at macanglecom What made you write the book? What prompted that?
4: Money. No, I'm <laughs> kidding. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, a guy called me. And I, John, have you written books, John? No. Okay, so it's kind of like a marathon, uh, only a lot further. Not as much fun and a lot harder in your life. So I've done four. That was the fourth one I've done. A guy calls me a publisher in Maryland or wherever. He's a really nice guy. He says, Hey, i got this great idea. I want to go to four games in Texas in four nights. I'm like, that sounds like a good idea. So I went to a college. No, I went to an NFL game on Thursday in Houston. I went to a high school game, the Friday Night Lights High School in West Texas. We flew out there first thing Friday morning. We drove through the night. And then I went to Texas, Oklahoma on Saturday in Dallas. And then on Sunday, I went to the Cowboys Patriots uh, at AT&T Stadium in Arlington. And I wrote about – I'm really proud of it. And I, I, I'm glad. I appreciate you asking me sincerely. It was a neat experience because, man, and I, and I know you've done this for a long time, the thing that makes sports so great, yeah, I mean, you, watching a guy catch a touchdown pass is cool. It was just the people. You go to these high schools, you meet cheerleaders, you meet band members, you meet these people. And what I didn't really realize, and I don't know if Oregon has an equivalent, I think even though I've lived here for 20 some years, I think I forgot just how much sports and specifically football is a part of everyday fabric of our lives down here. And it, it really didn't hit me until I did it. I'm like, oh, my God. And so everywhere I went, I just, fell into football, and there was more football, and there was more football, and there was more football, and it's the stories behind it, and uh, the pictures were fantastic. It was a great experience, and I'm really, uh, you know, they could have paid me nothing, and I would have done it, but it was, a really, it was a really fun experience, and for people who like football and, you know, travel and culture of the state, it's a great way to go, and it's a great way to see the state.
0: Yeah, and you, it connects you really with what you'll probably love and why you get in this business. It connects you with the games, the events, the smiles, the smell of a stadium, the pepper steak sandwich you can get at a high school game. You know, it, it, it really brings it back.
4: It really did, And, and I went to some barbecue places. Um, I, you know, I went to a high school one time and turned out the player who was the head coach, he had played for Eddie Robinson at Grambling. Uh, and then I go out to West Texas, and I get lost. I can't tell you how hard it is to get lost in West Texas. I drove one time in Central Oregon, and I thought it was hard to get lost there. We were going down to Crater Lake, and I actually got lost there. I still don't know how I did it, but I managed to get lost in West Texas. Sure enough, I run into this tiny little high school. I mean, tiny little high school, and it was having a pep rally for the high school game there that night. And it's got this – I mean, there's no money in this town, None. They've got a football field that you could have eaten lunch off of. It was so pretty and pristine. And the people are great. And, you know, they're pulling up, and the high school kids are pulling up in pickup trucks with shotgun racks. And right beyond the end zone, I'll never forget this right beyond the end zone is an oil derrick pumping oil. And that's just part of the fabric of their life. It's just, it's just, and every, and every part of the United States has that. And I grew up in Indiana when basketball specifically high school basketball, really ruled that state in high Iron Fist. And every state has that. And with Texas, it, I, know, I know people make a big deal out of it, but I, it wasn't until I did that book that I was like, you could fill up virtually every day of the week with football if you wanted to. Even though it's a sport that's only played one day of the week, you could literally fill up your life with it. And a lot of people do. And for a lot of people, it is a connection to their sons, to their daughters, to their communities in a way that, even if you hate the game, those relationships are very special.
0: Mac Engel, you're the best. I appreciate you, man. And you stay inside until uh, at least September, October when it starts <laughs> to cool down. But I got to tell you, here in Oregon this week, we're going to see some 90s. I mean, that, that doesn't—that probably feels like a nice, shady day for you.
4: I would kill for 90 degrees. We went up there a couple of years ago. We did the whole Northwest thing. We, we drove, we flew into Seattle and we drove down the coast. I loved it. Man, I loved Oregon. I loved the Oregon. I tell everybody, I was like, God, you got to go to the Oregon coast. Cannon Beach, I loved it. Astoria, I really did. But right now, 90 degrees, I'm sure that feels like, you know, hotter than hell for you all. I would kill for 90 degrees right now because yeah. I know I won't see it. I Like, it's cold. I won't see a high of ninety degrees until September at the earliest.
0: Mac Engel, take care of yourself. Thank you for joining us.
6: Okay, thank you, John, very much.
0: Great stuff. I mean, love that. I mean, highly entertaining, first of all, and then on top of that, you talk about uh, the viewpoint from SMU, the viewpoint from TCU. The uh, the the mentality of a of a fan base or a region that has been through losing Texas and Oklahoma already, I think uh, I think it's uh, I think it's a wonderful opportunity uh, for uh, the rest of us to kind of study what that region did in the wake of that. And I agree with Engel in principle that you know it should work with the Big Twelve Conference and the Pac twelve Conference coming together in some form or fashion. Uh, I am being told that the Pac-12 wants to stick together with its 10 members, but if they're going to add some members or create a partnership with the ACC, is there anything in the Big 12 that they would be interested in? And and by the way, when I say they, it's not really the conference. It's more television. You know, ESPN is going to play kingmaker here. ESPN is probably the entity, unless Fox gets interested in a blend of the Big 12 and the Pac-12, ESPN feels like the player here that would come in with the strongest bit. I want you to leave it here. More on that coming up. You got the BFT statewide.
2: Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750, The Game.
0: Appreciate everybody who is uh, reading me at johnconzano.com. If you're not reading me there or subscribed already, consider a subscription. You get it in real time, delivered to your email inbox, uh, you know, right away, boom, it's there as it happens each morning or afternoon if there's something going on. There are sometimes I post multiple times a day. Uh, Check it out at johnconzano.com if you want to read me. Uh, we uh, have a whole bunch of things to talk about, a whole bunch to catch up on. we got a big splash coming up later this hour. Also, uh, I want to talk a little bit about track and field that will be taking place. The World Championships coming to our state. I feel a little bit track and fielded out. Is that a term uh, that I can use, track and fielded out? Like There's just been a lot of track and field. And I know that our state is known for it, but I wonder with the World Championships coming, if there will be an exhaustion factor when it comes to ticket sales, people showing up, uh, I get it, kind of the novelty of new Hayward Field. Uh, I think some of that has worn off from the diehard people who have already been in and seen it. And I think, uh, you know, Oregon was wise to make an investment in track and field, I, and I think it's uh, a marvelous facility. But I just kind of at some point wonder about an event in the middle of summer, in smack in the middle of July, uh, after you have had state championships in high school, uh, Pac-12 championships, NCAA championships, uh, the U.S. championships, um, everybody's gone on a fun run, and now here comes the world championships. It's a lot of running, jumping, high jumping, pole vaulting, hurtling. I mean, it's just a lot to take in. I think, you know, it's it reminds me a little bit of – You know, the Bay Area is an interesting study. I worked there, lived there. I grew up there. I worked at the Mercury News in San Jose prior to coming to the state of Oregon. And it was one of my stops. I covered the NFL. I covered Major League Baseball. There was just a, I don't want to say apathy, but there was, there's a lot going on in the Bay Area because I don't necessarily think it's apathy because it's not like people are sitting on their porches going, eh, I can't get off my porch. That's not it. It's more that Stanford fan, Cal fan, also happens to be a baseball fan of the A's and or Giants, also happens to be an NFL fan of the Niners or back in the day the Raiders, also probably happens to be transient, not connected deeply with tradition. It wasn't like generations of families like the SEC or the Big Ten had grown up living the tailgate at those games and whatnot. But I remember just covering sports in that area, and there was just – a feel of there was a lot going on. The audience is scattered and fragmented. And I feel like that is going to affect the world championships in Eugene as much as anything. That there are families who are vacationing. There are people who have seen track and field and been out there. And maybe they're curious about it. Maybe they'll go back out at, and check it out because it is an opportunity to see, like, the world's greatest athletes in in athletics uh, compete, aside from an Olympics. But – I just kind of wonder if we're going to see a little bit of a disappointing turnout come World Championships. Leave it here. Our big splash is coming up.
2: Back to the Bald faced Truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game.
0: Coming up at 4 o'clock top of the hour. Matt Brown, who publishes Extra Points, covers college athletics uh, in the business of college athletics will be joining us 4 o'clock, just a few minutes from now. In the meantime, our Big Splash. What do you need to know?
1: This is
2: the one thing you absolutely need to know today. Look, look, look at it. Where? Down there. The The Big Splash!
0: Well, the NBA Board of Governors, they will meet tomorrow, and they are expected to approve the play-in tournament as a permanent and regular part of future league seasons. The NBA has been voting on the play-in's inclusion on a year-to-year basis the last two seasons, but it appears as though they are ready to make it a regular component of the league schedule. They are also expected to uh, explore some other options the NBA, uh, looking at an in-season tournament, they're going to discuss that. Both the play-in and the in-season tourna- tournaments will need to be collectively bargained with the players' union, so pump the brakes on that. But they've talked about a purse of a million dollars per player on the winning team. The players would like to see a little more financial and competitive incentives. A million bucks for you, a million bucks for me. Sounds like a good idea. I'll join that tournament. But we all know that there are very few teams in the NBA that will have a chance to win that mid-season tournament. It is basically what is happening in college football. It is television saying, hey, we can make money doing that. Can you create another tournament within your season? Nobody worried about killing the Golden Goose. Nobody worried about, a. Uh, is this too much to ask of players? The NBA, like every other sports league, is looking for new revenue streams. And... A lot of us wouldn't blame them for that. All right, coming up, we're going to talk to Matt Brown. He is uh, the publisher of Extra Points. He's all over college athletics. I want you to leave it here. One hour in the books, second hour coming up. Leave it here.
2: BBFFT. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald Face truth.
0: You want to know what the heck's going on in college athletics? Everything off-field in college athletics. Matt Brown, the publisher of Extra Points, is now part of the D1 Ticker family. Extra Points basically covers the off-field stuff that shapes college athletics. The business, the geography, the politics. Matt Brown does a hell of a job with Extra Points. You should check it out. He's joining us now. Give us an idea, Matt. When you went to start this thing, I know we talked about this before. But for listeners who are hearing it for the first time, you went to start Extra Points. What was sort of the the fire that got you going?
7: Yeah, I, I wish I could tell everybody that it was like oh, I was. This was born out of entrepreneurial spirit, and I wanted to stick it to the man and 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 you know, you know be, liberate myself from tyrannical editors. But like the the only truth here is, I was at Vox Media for seven years. Uh, when the pandemic started, they laid me off. They got rid of most of our college sports team, and I'm sitting here in Chicago, and I've got a wife, and I've got kids, and I've got a mortgage, and I realized that, uh, you know, it's not like the Chicago Tribune was hiring. Nobody was hiring. So I, I, this was started out of desperation rather than um, you know, inspiration, but it, it's, it's worked out very well. It's evolved a little bit since then, and we've kind we've of found a, found a little niche in, in digging into some of these business and policy stories, and we've been really fortunate that, you know, two years into it, it's it's grown enough to be acquired and to be a real sustainable business.
0: USC and UCLA leave the Pac-12. People in the conference footprint begin to fret. There's some hand-wringing, a lot of what the Big 12 went through with Texas and Oklahoma leaving. But what what was sort of the talk in Big Ten country? You're right there in Chicago. Yeah, you know,
7: it, it's funny that um, – there wasn't very much smoke about this coming ahead of time, uh, you know. As, as as you know, it's been explained to me from talking to some other Big Ten people. A lot of even some even a- a- ads didn't really know this was coming in earnest until just a couple of days, but before everybody else did, it was kept to a pretty tight circle. But the feeling among among coaches and and certainly fans has been uh, decidedly mad. Really, it, it's not that people don't respect UCLA and USC. I think there's. Going to be plenty of fans who are going to be very excited to watch those football games, those basketball games. It's an enormous coup for Big Ten baseball, which is not very good, um, and, and it will be excellent for some very good volleyball conferences. But there's also the, the realization here that if you're, especially you know somebody who's a fan of a Michigan or an Iowa or Wisconsin, every time you're bringing somebody else in, you're you're that's another game that you're not going to get to play against somebody that you've been playing for a hundred years. And unless you live in Chicago, most of the Big Ten footprint, you're probably not going to know anybody that went to USC or know anybody that went mm-hmm. to UCLA. But the people in your PTA group, and your church, and your neighborhood, they all root for Wisconsin or Illinois, and you get to rub their noses in it. So this is, uh, <laughs> it, there's, there's some excitement, but also some you know disillusionment because this, this is uh, indicative of
0: college sports being very different and not always in good ways than what it was 25 years ago. Why do you think it was kept so quiet? Because it, you know, I'm told that the Big 10 talked to USC, UCLA like a year ago, it cooled off, it picked back up a couple months ago. Like normally this stuff leaks. Why why were they able to keep it quiet? It's it's a great question. Um I, mean, in the, I got a very
7: very faint, you know, whiff of this, you know, 3 or 4 months ago and an astron was told there's nothing really to it and and these kind of very basic very, you know, conversations between conferences and schools or between conferences and schools through inter- intermediaries like consulting firms. Those happen more often than fans uh, might, might think, but they often don't progress beyond that point, and so there's nothing really super meaningful to report. Um, one possibility here is that a lot uh, – you know, Kevin Warren's still relatively new. Uh, some of the presidents involved within the Big Ten are, are relatively new, and while that creates some problems of trust and can make policymaking difficult – if you're new to the club, maybe it's a little bit easier for you to keep a secret because you don't have 25 years of inertia and gossiping and relationships where these sort of things kind of come up. You're not as tight with, uh, with with other reporters or anything. So that might – what was a, a real problem for the Big Ten, I think, during the COVID year might have been an asset in trying to get this done very quickly and quietly.
0: Matt Brown with Extra Points is our guest. Uh, the, the money of this makes sense for UCLA-USC. Um, yeah. I am a little concerned about the Pac-12, obviously, the Big 12, and, and the others who are left out and how they're going to matter in this. Uh, this all feels like it's gamed towards getting as many teams in the playoff if you're the SEC and the Big Ten. Do you think there's room for a third amalgam, a conference, a third entity to emerge as a player here? I I, I would think so. One of the challenging things
7: here about trying to kind of game plan where or, or things are going is I don't think television money is really the only variable to, to consider. There, you know, as from, I think you reported something, some things that are similar, and I've heard similar things when talking to media consultancies. There's not a whole lot of teams that either the Big Ten or the SEC to, to add that would certainly increase their per school television allotment. If you're bringing in Oregon, you're bringing in Washington or Clemson or Florida State. It's it's more probable that the per school distribution goes down a little bit, but one thing that doesn't necessarily go down is political and administrative power, and that's a little bit harder to kind of handicap. Like, are there enough good college football or college basketball or sport or programs to have a, a very viable league outside of these big two leagues? Sure, I mean, Big Twelve's won two what two NCAA men's basketball tournaments here over the last four years. Lots of schools that don't make as much money as the Big Ten have been kicking the Big Ten's butt in all kinds of sports. Sure, sure that could exist. But if political control around whether that's through the NCAA Transformation Committee or, the, or who ends up running or determining play, uh, you know, championship access for these other sports, if that becomes increasingly consolidated by two leagues, that's a different problem. And I think what I would be more concerned about isn't so much that the Big Ten is only operating here out of money, but I would be more concerned if, you know, depending on how the transformation committee goes, if maybe some administrators realize, look, if we expand to twenty, we could get like nineteen teams in the softball championship. Why don't we just run that thing? We 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 could run the volleyball tournament. What are we doing sharing anything with the Southland? That creates a different issue.
0: The Pac-12 in the entire western part of the United States is not factored in the playoff. How concerned are you, Matt, as you look at just the health of college athletics, college football, when you see a swath of the country just tuned out?
7: Yeah, I think I really do think it's a it's a significant issue. We have had a lack of parity in college football almost as long as we've been having college football. It may, it may be a little bit ahistorical now, but you know you look back at the seventies; it's generally three or four teams that are dominating everything. That's how it was in the fifties. But there's usually been more geographic distribution and it's difficult to see a way where that changes in the near future even even if money is is spread around simply because there's really only one part of the country that really produces most of the really good college football players and that's that's the southeast you know i i I love the i love the west coast as much as everybody there's not as many really good fat guys out there it's not the place to get the depth of defensive tackle or defensive end talent that you can get in georgia and alabama and louisiana and that's getting worse not better. And, and, you know, even, even if, if money is more redistributed or, or playoff access is redistributed, I'm not sure how that changes. And I definitely don't think that's healthy. Just like I don't think it's really healthy that the Northeast has mostly been removed from, from national college football relevance and, and really has been for the last 15 years too. It would be better for the sport if Oregon or USC or UCLA became more championship contenders on a regular basis.
0: Matt Brown with us, Extra Points, is the newsletter. It's part of the D1 Ticker family. They do a great job covering sort of the business of college athletics. It feels like, um, you know, I I agree with you that more than television should matter, but it feels like ESPN could play kingmaker here, and if they wanted to, just they could bet and back the Pac-12, and it feels like it would be bad for the Big 12. I don't want to see that happen. I would rather see the ACC, Big 12, Pac-12 come up with some kind of antidote to what we're seeing with the SEC and the Big 10. But am I asking too much? Am I being Pollyanna here, Matt, and dreaming that, that we could find a solution that kind of works for everyone? Well, I mean, it's may, maybe a little bit, but it, it, it kind of depends a little bit, I guess, on a,
7: how we define works. Like, I would love it if there was a way to make the math work or some kind of Pac-12, ACC you know, Fusion, where ESPN took over some of the management of the Pac-12 networks, and Pac-12 presidents would love that because then they get to say that they're sharing an institutional alignment with UNC and Wake Forest and, uh, and, and, and Boston, no, not Boston College, well, or, or some of these other great schools um, on the East Coast. But the, I don't think the math works to the point where it would be anywhere near, like, parity with the Big Ten or the SEC. And it doesn't necessarily have to be parity, right Clemson is not does not have financial parity and they've won national titles and Florida State doesn't have the financial parity and, and they've in the past you know competed for college football playoff bids but but you could do better I think this sport would be diminished particularly out here on the west coast if five leagues became three or became two two and a half uh, and I am hopeful it does not get to that point and I I I I see that you've said this and that mirrors the conversations I have had with senior associate athletic directors and ADs. I'm hearing a quiet optimism that this might be able to work out for, for the PAC 12. I I, I'm definitely hearing less of existential crisis than maybe five days ago.
0: We're talking to Matt Brown extra points. Yeah. I would love to find that happy medium. Let's talk uh, specifically about USC, UCLA and the big 10. How competitive can they be? I had an AD in the PAC 12 today say, Hey, UCLA basically announced they're going to be a basketball school. There's no way they're sniffing the playoff in that conference. Uh, how do you read their level of competitiveness in the Big Ten?
7: I think that's probably true in, in the short term. You know, one thing that I've heard a lot from coaches as, you, as they go through conference realignment changes is that it isn't just about raw talent acquisition. You know, you build a roster to compete in a certain league against a certain kind of style. The thing that I've heard the most—that's that—that's some of the biggest changes for not just Nebraska, but for Maryland and Rutgers when they entered the Big Ten—is the caliber and depth of offensive line talent that's needed because there are so many really good pass rushers and so many really good linebackers that are very physical in that league. And you know, offensive line depth has been a little bit of a challenge within the Pac-12 generally. Um, it's, it's it's part of why Utah, I think, has been has been so successful despite not recruiting at, at an elite level. So. In the short term, I don't think anybody should be shocked if UCLA comes in and you know gets punched in the mouth by a seven and five Michigan State team or a seven and five Iowa team, you know, and loses badly. Um, the challenge will also be how both of those programs reorient their recruiting footprints. If you're if you're not playing in California as often, are you going to be able to recruit the same kinds of athletes the same way that you wanted to do it? Are we going to have to see UCLA hire assistant coaches that? outside Chicago or have familiarity in Youngstown or Cincinnati, like that's, that's going to be a good question. You, you, USC, given how they're kind of orienting talent now, should be competitive pretty quickly, but I wouldn't expect either team to be able to come in and win the league because we haven't really seen that when anybody changes leagues. That's it. That's the, your roster is not built that way.
0: Yeah. And they're not winning the PAC 12 right now, at least not in their yeah. present form. Uh, the rest of college athletics, you know, I, I've reached out to like the big sky and I'm kind of looking at them and I'm looking at the mountain West and some others, you know, and i really feel bad for like Boise state, Fresno state, San Diego state, SMU. How are they going to matter, Matt?
7: Well, that is a, I mean, it's it's a good question. And part of it depends, I think on what you want as a fan or as an athletic director, what you want to get out of Fresno state athletics, or what you want to get out of Boise state athletics. If, if, if a successful Boise State Athletic Department is, we have a lot of people coming to our games. Uh, a lot of people can watch our games. We're providing a really great experience. Our athletes are are uh, you're progressing to the pros and graduating at a high level, and we are nowhere near the top 20. That might still be okay. I mean, I think that describes a lot of the big sky. And I don't say that pejoratively. I you know if, if you're not uh, you know, necessarily winning that conference, I think you can have a successful athletic department. If, if you need to be competing for championships – I mean, one, I think you've got, you've got some existential problems already, but, but that would certainly make this worse. I would be honestly more concerned over maybe the bottom half of that Mountain West. Because if, if some chairs get rearranged and maybe Fresno or San Diego State or Boise end up elsewhere, and you're a San Jose or you're a Wyoming or you're a Utah State, and you're probably already a little bit financially leveraged and suddenly you're, you're, you find yourself in a, in a more challenging position, that's when I think people are going to have some really difficult conversations. You can still be a great athletic department and have great experiences and have people be passionate about you if you're SMU in the year of our Lord, 2022. If you're Wyoming um, and, I don't know, resource extraction prices change a little bit over the next couple of years, that might be a little bit harder to do.
0: Matt Brown, extra points. I appreciate you, man. This is all interesting stuff. Let me ask you before I cut you loose. You know, there's a lot of rumor, whispers. um, You know, everybody's got a theory. How do you, as a journalist, know what to report, what to retweet, what to trust versus maybe stuff you should just read and go, okay, let's uh, grain of salt there?
7: (laughs) This, this, is, this is really hard. And I'll, I'll, I'll talk about this specifically in the context of realignment because there's, there's so yeah. much stuff that gets thrown on social media, right? But I think it's important for fans and listeners to understand is that the number of people that have direct firsthand knowledge of what's actually happening in these, in these kind of conversations is generally really small. And I know that because I've broken some of these stories at the FCS and one AAA level. So coaches, and especially assistant coaches, almost always know nothing about realignment. It's not because they're stupid. It's just because they're not in these meetings. So when I look at you know, uh, news outlets that are primarily just talking to coaches and they suddenly have a big realignment scoop, that makes me wonder, all right, did they talk to like two assistants, a GA and a coach, and none of them really knew what they were talking about and they said this thing? That is how uh, speculation suddenly becomes sourcing, right? Not even every AD always knows. And so I think as a consumer, you have to ask yourself about anything, but especially about realignment. How likely is it that the unnamed source in this particular story actually is somebody with direct first-hand knowledge of these kind of conversations? If you're looking at something that Ross Dellinger posted and you know that he talks to university presidents and conference commissioners and senior media executives all of the time, I think it's a different calculus than when you, when you read your local 247 uh, or, or subreddit. The, the weird thing about college, college sports, I've, I've joked about this too, you still kind of have to read some of those things because, like, one out of a hundred times, like Doctor Fart Four Twenty is actually a regent somewhere and actually does know something, and you and then like it, it gets leaked. So you got you got to make the phone call, but almost always it's full of baloney. And there's a lot of baloney when it comes to conference realignment on the internet.
0: Amen to that, Matt Brown. He's a good follow on Twitter. He's a good read at Extra Points. Appreciate what you do, and thank you for your time, Matt.
7: John, it's, it's always a pleasure. Thank you very much. Uh, happy to do it again later on.
0: Good stuff from Matt Brown. Follow him and read him. And, and look, I'm going to join the refrain. Like when he talked there about knowing what to trust, what to believe, there's a lot of nonsense out there. There's a lot of people just throwing things against the wall. The conference members themselves are anxious, even the core members. Even, I think even members like Oregon, Washington, Washington, Uh, Stanford, Cal, I mean, everybody's a little bit unsettled by what happened with USC and UCLA leaving, in part because nobody saw it coming and now because they all want to keep the Big Ten and the SEC at least in view from the front windshield, so to speak. Like, they want to be able to look out the windshield and say, oh, I can still see them. You know, like when you're caravanning on I-5, with other family members. Maybe they're not from the area and you're like, okay, where did they go? or you know, Are they still in sight? Uh, I think the conference members want to do that, but there's a lot of people throwing out their own agendas, so to speak. And I think it's really difficult at times to kind of navigate that. And I'll just tell you this, like I read John Wilner, I trust John Wilner, I follow John Wilner. There are a few national people that I read. Um, I will tell you that I hear a lot of things Uh, I will not uh, report uh, rumor or innuendo. Uh, I have to hear it from the horse's mouth. When I tell you I talked to two Pac-12 ADs who tell me that they feel the remaining members are going to stick together, and then a third tells me this morning I agree with those other two ADs, the dialogue's been candid, it's been productive, it's been forward thinking, the numbers point to the remaining 10 sticking together. Like, that is coming from an AD within the conference. So I think that's newsworthy. That's worth paying attention to. Does it mean that something could change or wouldn't change? No, We don't know that. We don't know the factors. We don't know. Notre Dame decides all of a sudden, hey, we want to join the Big Ten. Uh, That could change the calculus a little bit. But it kind of gives you an idea as a citizen slash reader slash listener. When you see me report that at johnconzano.com in the morning, uh, and you're having your coffee, you know kind of where the Pac-12 is, where their heads are. And, you know, I'm not going to throw every wild scenario I hear uh, uh, out there because I just think it it muddies the waters. But I think you got to consider, you know, as as Matt was pointing out, when you talk to sources, what's their motivation? You know, if I'm talking to somebody at Oregon State or Washington State, I know that Oregon State and Washington State are especially worried about the conference fracturing. So I have to take that in consideration. If I'm talking to somebody at Oregon or Stanford or Arizona State or Arizona, I know it's a very different, uh, very different framing of that same conversation. Uh, Utah in particular. Utah is interesting because they're, they're a newcomer to the conference, so to speak, with Colorado, and yet they've got the geography of the Big 12 that can work in the Big 12 or work in the Pac-12. But I feel like Utah, Colorado, Arizona – are probably mostly in alignment with George Klyovkov and what is going on. I think Arizona State is in there too, but I think Arizona State is playing a cute little game right now. And I think Arizona State is trying to see, you know, play like they're on the fence a little bit so that if there is a meteorites deal with ESPN, Arizona State, because they're in the Phoenix market, can go, hey, we're in a bigger market than Oregon, Oregon State, Washington State, Colorado, and some others. Uh, you know, what about us getting, uh, instead of one share, can we get 1.5 shares? Can we get a little more money? Because we're bringing more media value. I think those conversations are happening. Anna's going to pop into the studio. We'll talk more about what it means. Uh, I had a good mail day today. We'll talk about that and a whole bunch more. Leave it here.
2: You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game.
0: Anna has popped into the studio. She was at Costco today. How was that experience at Costco, Anna?
8: It's packed, man. What is today? Monday? I was surprised that apparently Costco's got a summer rush crowd.
0: Did you get a hot dog and a soda when you're at Costco? Because that's that's what I think of immediately. Is they do something with those hot dogs? Yeah. Sean, can you back me up on that?
9: Their hot dogs are really good, but I prefer the slice of pizza.
0: Oh no 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 the hot. Or dog.
9: the chicken bake, it's
10: or the pe- churro.
0: Anybody else got an opinion? Peter, you got an opinion?
10: Man, it's all about that cheap hot dog. It's never going to go up in price either.
0: Yeah, you load it up it with It better not. That's what I'm saying. You get that old organ grinder cranking out the onions on it. You know, you kind of use that <laughs> thing, whatever that <laughs> apparatus is.
8: Uh, that might have gone away in the pandemic. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, no, we didn't get the overly salty, overly fat-laden hot dog. We did get an ice cream for the 6-year-old
0: and a lemonade for the 8-year-old. No hot dog for me. No. C- couldn't have fit it like in your pocket. <laughs> Could have. Could have put it in your pocket. Could
8: have. Sometimes I get I'll the, remember that next time. Sometimes
0: here. I get the damn thing. You know how they give you a soda with it? Yeah. That's you know, like a buck 50, I think? Yeah. Yeah. You get a soda uh-huh. and a dogger.
8: Yeah, it's the best deal around. Sometimes I just <laughs> I just
0: walk away, leave the soda cup right on the counter where No they're. you don't. Yeah. I just walk away. Wow. I'm there for the dog. <laughs> you know what restraint you have i always felt like costco missed an opportunity how because i feel like the two places there's really three places i really enjoy a hot dog one is a fourth of july okay? okay it's one of the few times i feel good about eating a hot dog okay okay costco is another one yeah and then a ball game is that's third. three that's what i said you said two I said and two, then you named I, three i said they're there's a third. Okay. Play the tape. Uh, I but I always felt like what if what if Costco let's just hypothetically say this. What if Costco could build a major league baseball ballpark in Portland? <laughs> Yeah. And then they could sell the Costco doggers. Yeah. At the concession stands and their novelty yeah. would be, "Hey, they're just a buck 50. You can go pay 9 bucks for a Dodger dog or whatever it costs now. Yeah. You can go to AT&T Park and get garlic fries for 12 bucks or you can come to Costco Ballpark. Mhm. And by the way, if you have a Costco card, yeah, you get the hot dog for a buck 50. Oh, yeah. Am I marketing
8: genius or what? Like you know, yeah, Costco going into major league baseball, that's uh, uh yeah, I see that,
0: yeah, and then no, I don't, here's the other thing <laughs> you know, let's just take the Costco mentality, yeah, every seat costs the same price, mm-hmm. first come first served, yeah, see,
8: I like that, you know, uh-huh, Peter be lining what,
10: up, what do you up. what do you call the team if Costco's involved, is it the Portland five gallons of mayonnaise or
8: it's the Costco Hoarders. 500 Mr. Freeze Pops for $12, too. <laughs> yes. It, it's, the, uh,
0: it's the Portland Hoarders. That's it's, the, that's it's, it's the land of
8: overconsumption. That's what it is.
0: Nobody needs that many Dixie Cups, but we own them, you know? As with Anna, I was unloading the back of her car today. It was all the usuals. Potato salad. There was no potato
8: salad this time. Six
0: things of water.
8: You know what got me this time? (laughs) The kids, like, they, they were so happy when they brought the samples back. I don't know what it is about the Costco sample people, but our children absolutely love a free sample. Like nothing we I've should ever feed them seen. Uh, that's that was basically lunch today. What's yeah. the free samples at Costco? Yeah. And I've never seen like it's for some reason like when they're serving it on those little yeah. paper thin, a novelty. Mini cupcake wrapper things and a little mini spoon or whatever it's a novelty and they will eat no like they could stick anything in those little cups and our kids will eat them so then i fall for it i go oh you ate that (laughs) so let me pick up a package of that you know tikka masala that i think you like (laughs) and i did i bought it today because they ate it and seemed to enjoy it and you know the reality yeah because I'm gonna go cook that tikka masala oh. at home, and they're not gonna eat it.
0: You know, what you need to do. You and I need to get shower caps on and white coats, <laughs> and we need to stand around serving those things. It's a presentation, in, like issue. the hallway. You'd be in the hallway with, like, you know, <laughs> whatever that item was that you just mentioned. I will be like down the other hall and I'll have like, you know, the chicken patty <laughs> cut up in small pieces. Yes. But we're wearing shower caps. Yes. You know?
8: It's a presentation. And we're issues, making small yeah. talk.
0: Yeah. You know, you can find them right there in the freezer section. <laughs> right over there. <laughs> yeah. Just a little, uh, it's very easy uh, to put these together. That's what our meals will look like at yeah. home. That'll do it. There's nothing yeah. harder. Peter, you can back me up here. There's nothing harder than getting like a five, six, seven, eight, nine-year-old kid. To sit still and eat at dinner and lunch. Breakfast oh. too.
10: Uh, John, I could take the final hour and a half of this show, but I will just agree briefly. Yes.
0: <laughs> We've toyed with the idea of seat belts on the chairs to keep the kids seated. <laughs> and they just buckle them in. I don't know what jacket. it is.
8: They don't. They get up like seventeen times oh, during a meal. I don't understand it. I know. I don't get we, it. There
0: needs to be a penalty. Do we need to, to starve them
8: more between meals and not allow snacking?
0: No, because that's not it. then what is it? There's some about Cause... squirming around and walking around the room while you're enjoying your meal. That is, uh, it's inter- like
8: why? Why do you feel compelled to do a cartwheel in the middle of dinner? You know? Yeah, we've in the seen kitchen? that.
0: We've seen that. Why? Why? Let me show like, you. Whatever we're talking about has to become an immediate demonstration, too. Yeah. Hey, uh, wh- I think it's your fault. Wh- did you uh, did you rollerblade today or roller skate? Oh yeah! And then they they're up out of their seats for yeah, some reason. I know. I know. Can't you
8: just tell me about it. I think it's your fault. For what? What did I do? I think like for example, we'll be at dinner and we will be pondering something. Yeah. You know, we'll just ponder some random thing that comes up in conversation. Like, uh, why do, does the video game Animal Jams have giraffes in it? I don't know. And I'm okay with the ambiguity, but you have to know the answers or you whip yeah. out your phone. Because we can. And you immediately go after the
0: answers. We can know. I know. We can.
8: You can, but we don't yeah.
0: have to know. I saw somebody saying stuff like back in the day, there used to be people who knew things and people who didn't know anything. And the people who didn't know would sit and listen to the people who did know. Now we all have a phone. We all have the ability to know something and share something in that conversation. (laughs) So why wouldn't we get the answer? Because I'm okay with just not knowing
8: certain things.
0: I wonder what the high temperature is going to be tomorrow.
8: I don't don't know, but I don't need to know right now either. But Sean
0: could find that out. Sean could be a meteorologist in like two seconds. (laughs) He'd be like, well, tomorrow, you know. Because his phone's telling him. Are
8: you guys like that? Sean, Peter, do you, like, when you ponder something, are you okay dwelling in ambiguity for even, like, five to ten minutes, especially during a meal? Or do you immediately have to get the answer?
9: I need the answer right away. I'm not going to yeah. lie to you. I go to my phone right away, and, yeah, rather than thinking about it, like, it just sticks in my head if I don't do that. So, yeah, yeah. I'm definitely going with the the
10: latter. Yeah, see, I can wait a little bit. I mean, if we're doing nothing else, you know, just staring, you know, slack jot at the TV, I'll look it up. But Dad is casual dad, but mealtime is what matters to him, so if it fits at the dinner table, we're going to eat and we're going to have a conversation. It'll right, wait. Do you
0: guys get busted for getting on your phone at the table? Because I get a glare <laughs> from Anna, so I got to tell you how many times I go to reach for my phone, and I have the mental twitch of going, uh, I'm going to look that up, and then I, I almost, I'm, I'm not even moving but my hand is my hand is getting a signal from my brain pick up the phone and the other half of my brain's going don't do that <laughs> she's gonna get mad and, and then i look at anna and she never knew like i had this whole tug of war going on Mm-hmm. you guys yeah. get in trouble for that yeah
9: not really not really honestly as we've gotten older like We we all I think appreciate my family just like the, uh, you know the Sunday family dinner and you know catching up previewing the week and putting our phones away so I think we're pretty good at that but even if if I did I wouldn't get in trouble
0: what if you're on a Tinder date. Do you do you <laughs> not always pick comes up the phone? Up with me. Uh-huh. Do you not pick up the phone if you're on a Tinder date? No, no you,
9: you no put way. the phone away. Yeah, you, you don't even want that thing to ring because I have this thing where like if my phone vibrates or like I have this thing with my Apple Watch here, like I kind of it's it's kind of a curse for me because when it vibrates and I'm having a conversation with someone, suddenly my it's really bad. My brain goes to that vibration and I'm so tempted to look at it, but uh, no, that's why you have to go do not disturb in those situations.
0: Yeah, I had somebody uh, one time say you should not even have your phone in your hand when you're having a conversation with somebody because you're telling them they're not important to you.
8: Who's that guy, Simon Sinek, or whatever his name is, that wise guy on TikTok? Is. He just spouts a lot of, like, wise-sounding things. and he Sounds uh, a
0: little nasally. Is that that guy? That guy. Gla- glasses, glasses? Glasses. Oh, so he sounds like a uh, smarty pants.
8: Always doing some kind of TED Talk-type talk thing, you know? And he talks about the distraction that is created even if the phone is just present on the table uh, even if it's face down, and he makes the point like if it's it's not actually more polite to have the phone face down because then it looks like you're just hiding something. Oh. Right? You don't want you, whoever you're with to see who you might be getting a message from or something. Well,
0: we were uh, a couple years ago when our college-to-be sophomore was still in high school. She did a, she did a study on that, remember? Yeah. She did a whole thing on uh, the distraction of the phone when it's in the room. And she uh, did like a scientific study of it and proved that even if the phone's face down on the table or in your pocket, as Sean said, vibrating. That's right. Uh, it causes you to your mind to kind of drift to what am, what am I missing? What am I missing? So what are we supposed to do? What Just you...
8: put it away Where? during a meal. Mm-hmm. Where? All I'm asking Where? for is 15
9: minutes. Good
8: where does that go? Go charge it somewhere. In another else, in another room. in another room. Some so families do
9: not disturb. <laughs> yeah. Some
8: families have a basket that everybody has to put their devices in at dinner time because yeah. just I'm all I'm asking for is fifteen sacred minutes for the meal that has prepared for you has been prepared.
0: Do you you know when we watch movies and they have like the prison scene when the guy's getting out of prison <laughs> and he's at that window? Yes. He's getting a ziploc bag. Yes. with, Like his watch. That's and his what wallet. I want the scene to be like at the end of a meal <laughs> when you're handing your device back. We we have to the line there and it's some guard named Fred. Yes. He's like in his sixties. Yes. And he's uh, yeah. he's going here's you your
8: finally get your shoelaces yeah, back. Here's your you know? stuff
0: that you haven't seen for five yeah. years.
8: Mm-hmm.
0: Here's your here's your flip phone yeah. back. I want to be Fred. There you go. That's why you come to the show. You, we've, we solve the big problems. I want you to leave it here. you got the BFT statewide.
2: Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game.
0: some news out of pittsburgh today that made me uh that made me kind of think about the good old days heinz field pittsburgh steelers home venue uh it's been known as heinz field since it opened in 2001 stadium will uh now be known as acrashore stadium beginning this season 15-year deal acrashore is a insurance broker uh they also have the naming rights to an indoor arena in Palm Springs. So now they're adding what used to be Heinz Field to their stable. Uh people in Pittsburgh are a little bit upset about it. They they got used to uh saying Heinz Field. That's their place. Great memories. It's a very unusual, you know, uh named stadium, but that was the original name of that stadium and it has been since they built it. Uh, and opened it in 2001. So 20 years later, they're now saying um, Heinz is not extending the naming rights. Steel, and uh, now uh, the stadium in Pittsburgh will be known as Acersure Stadium. It reminded me a little bit of when the Rose Garden Arena changed to Moda. It, now now known as the Moda Center, and I resisted that full. Force. like I think a lot of us still do I called it the Rose Garden <laughs> Arena for the, or the building formerly known as the Rose Garden <laughs> Arena for a long time uh, what do you make of this Anna like do fans care about this stuff I, I think they do
8: like I'd love to know first of all what that conversation was with Heinz. Like, are we not buying enough ketchup globally for Heinz to have re-upped on that naming deal, you know?
0: And Heinz is headquartered in Pittsburgh.
8: Yeah, I which know. Which, it makes sense. Yeah, so there's, like, geographical yeah. connection to it, too.
0: Yeah, I like that when you're, like, your local company. Yeah. Like, Reser Stadium. Yeah. Makes sense. Makes sense. Right? Yeah. It makes sense. Like, you know, I, and look, if, if Autzen Stadium sold naming rights. Which... They could probably some yeah right? it, yeah if they let's say they went with Nike, and they went Nike Stadium yeah you know and you know I'm sure people would be upset by it too because it feels like oh what are they doing they're just selling out but you know the bottom line is everybody's looking for new revenue and everybody's looking for healthy revenue streams, but Heinz is saying they will still uh they will still have a partnership. The name is changing, but this is not goodbye. They said in a tweet. <laughs> Okay. Uh, Meaning, what, their their ketchup and mustard or whatever they sell? Do they do mustard, too? Yeah, I think so. Heinz? You know, whatever Heinz is is selling <laughs> the condiments. Whatever they're slinging over there at the uh <laughs> you know, hey, can I get a straw? It's over there with the condiments section. Uh that whatever they're doing in Pittsburgh, they're saying they're still going to have Heinz products at the stadium. Okay. At AccraSure Stadium. <laughs> they will have some Heinz products. How do you guys feel about this? But, you know, we've seen things change. Providence Park was PGE Park, was Civic Stadium yeah. back in the day, you mm-hmm. know. Uh, you, what do you guys think about all that?
10: I think it, it, go ahead, Peter. No, I, I just, I get it, I, and I do think that fans sort of get annoyed at any kind of change like that, but ultimately, we accept it. The you mentioned the uh Rose Garden to Moda Center, and there are still holdouts, but for the most part, I'd say 95% of us accepted it, but I mean. Hines is such an, and I know, what, 2001, I think that that was built, but it feels so iconic, man. And uh, I don't know what, the accuracy, it just doesn't roll off the tongue as well (laughs) as Hines Field.
9: Yeah, it it takes some getting used to. I feel like I'm personally used to the Moda Center at first, but of course that year one, year two, it was definitely a shock that you weren't calling it the Rose Garden anymore. And I think, you know, when it's Hines, it feels like Hines is one of the iconic ones. Um, There's some out there that aren't as meaningful to the community. Like you said, but it feels like Hines is one of those that actually is impactful for the city of Pittsburgh.
0: What I would do is, if I were sure I would get a, I would get a tweet out there right now with a, like a generic bottle of ketchup with sure on the side of it.
8: Oh, Just be like, we're coming for your
0: stadium, folks.
8: <laughs> sure What's worse, Acressure, or I remember the first time you mentioned Smoothie King Center to yeah, me. You
9: thought I was joking.
8: I really thought you were joking. I was like, what? That and that's a real name. Crypto.com
9: uh, Arena used crypto, to be the Staples Center.
8: Yeah. Uh, Footprint Center? That's that's an actual arena, right?
0: Yeah. <laughs> the Footprint Center?
8: Yeah. I, I think,
0: look, I, I really do think it's always going to be Rose Garden Arena. Because at some point, Moda Center won't be on there. Yeah. Be careful what you wish for, right? Uh, it could be something else. But, like, when you look around, uh, you know, the country, you got, you know, The one that gets me is AT&T. What's that? So you have the AT&T Center in San Antonio. It's where the Spurs play. Yeah. You have AT&T Stadium. It's Jerry World where the Dallas Cowboys play. Okay. And you have AT&T Field where the Chattanooga Lookouts of Minor League Baseball play. Yeah. And by the way, AT&T Park used to be where the Giants play. And then it was Pack Bell Park. I don't even know what they're calling it now. I know. See? so Confusing. It's just, you know, it's really uh, not ideal to have all this stuff. Like, you should have to pick one and stay with it. Like, Heinz <laughs> for 20 years? Come on. Now you're sure, <laughs> Oh, the people at Pittsburgh Sports Radio is probably blowing up right now. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> but, you know. People if, losing their minds. Yeah. If you were a Giants fan, now it is what? It's Oracle Park, right? Is that Yeah, it's the park yeah. that used to be Pac-Bell, used to be AT&T. Mm-hmm. Feels like it should be T-Mobile, <laughs> you know, as it's <laughs> cycling through all those things. Um,
8: Climate Pledge Arena, we've sort of gotten used to that. I yeah. think
9: that one's cool. That is really cool. Alaska
0: Airlines Field at Husky Stadium. See, the Huskies sold it, but they didn't sell out all the way. <laughs> they, called, they sold out the naming rights of the field.
8: Uh-huh.
0: Alaska Airlines Field. Uh, then you've got... The Alaska Airlines Arena that the Huskies use for basketball, so they've sold out to Alaska, but not all the way with Husky Stadium. They kind of drew a line there. We should get Jen Cohen on the show to talk about that because <laughs> they did something right. I'm just saying there should be like I know money drives the bus on these things, but Acresure, <laughs> I'm charging a premium to them if we're going with that. Like sure. you know, it's like uh, it's like you know Viagra getting the naming rights on some NBA arena or whatnot, like you would do it for the right amount of money. But if you are an executive with one of those teams, you better get paid to get, you know, to put something like that on the arena.
8: I just, like, I would love to know the marketing research that goes into that decision for the company that is buying the naming rights because it's like, are you really much more inclined to, you know, buy insurance with AccraSure because they're the name on the stadium, I guess it's just in general a branding thing and an awareness of that company.
0: Yeah, but well, I don't know. I don't know if it pencils out. Like T-Mobile, you know, Arena in Vegas. Does is yeah. that enough for is T-Mobile winning on that deal? Right. You know, that like it's a lot of money. So apparently, the people with Heinz were like, "It's not worth it." Accrasure. Basically, what they're telling me is they're doing pretty good. <laughs> you know, if you have a naming rights deal, that's like you're making it. You know, the yeah. neighbors are looking over, going, "Hey, that insurance company's making they're they're making enough money to buy naming rights." Yeah, like that's, that's a, not like, "Hey, we need to uh, pay our employees and keep the lights on." Right. That like, is, you know. Okay,
8: pop quiz. SoFi Stadium. What's SoFi? What is it?
0: No idea. Anybody know? I don't no know. idea. Right. No idea what it is. Is it what, like, what I, I don't, it? don't
8: know. I don't know. Is, is
0: it, it... going to turn out it's like some Saudi-backed uh, no. enterprise that I we... I think it's slipped something to do there? with loans, from what I remember.
9: Yeah, it's a personal finance company. Oh, why do we bank. have to
0: know, Anna? Why do we have to look this up? Because I'm on a radio show, and yeah. I need to sound rather...
8: There you go. That,
9: that's what we were talking about earlier. You brought right. it up. I didn't know, <laughs> so I looked it up immediately.
0: And SoFi, and, and is, there I was, comfortable with my ambiguity. SoFi is a San Francisco-based company. Uh huh. Yeah, they're in uh, online personal finance and online banking.
8: So there you go. But see, we didn't even know that, and that's what the freaking whole thing in yeah. L.A. that we've been in is named after.
0: They're, they are uh, so their stock price is at six dollars today. <laughs> but they got their name on that stadium in L.A. <laughs> Leave it here. You got the BFT.
2: Back to the Bald-Faced Truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game.
0: Big news of the day. The SEC announcing it's going to stand pat at 16 teams. will not be adding. Kind of ends the speculation that Clemson or Miami in this cycle will be moving to the SEC. SEC doesn't need any more members. They don't need to share their revenue with anybody else. Uh, Also, the NBA uh, going to uh, presumably tomorrow make the uh, play-in tournament a permanent part of the league. They've been voting on it on a year-to-year basis. Uh, A whole bunch of other news we will cover at the top of the hour. Anna and I were talking during the commercial break, and I want your help on this if you're listening to this program, but... One of the things that I thought meant you were wealthy growing up was if you had a refrigerator with an ice machine in the door. We did not have that. We had to get the ice trays out, crack the ice trays. You know, sometimes they wouldn't pop out. I had to reach in there and kind of use a knife, a butter knife to pull out the ice cube. And, <laughs> but I went over to a friend's house one time. And I went to get a drink of water, and he had an ice machine in his door of his refrigerator. And I thought, man, they are wealthy. What are those things as a kid that you thought signaled wealth or making it, so to speak? 503-417-7575. What are those things? Oh, my gosh. For me, uh,
8: my clothes when I was little, most actually through my mid-20s, mostly came from, like, thrift stores. Or maybe I got to shop at Kmart, you know, if we were splurging for back to school. Maybe I would get to go to Mervyn's. um, But, like, never the mall. Never got clothes from the mall uh and very rarely got anything that had like a brand name on it so for me like getting a pair of kids when i was going to middle school like a legit pair of kids, was making it like that like and the and there were other girls that Uh, always had Keds, like, all the time. Those are the shoes they always wore, and I always thought, wow, like, that is so cool. What are Keds? Keds, you know, the white canvas shoes with the little blue label. So, like, that one pair of Keds that I got going into middle school, when that pair wore out, I very carefully razor-bladed off the blue label and super-glued them onto the next pair of plain white canvas shoes that... I then wore.
0: That, That I learned something about you every day on the show. <laughs> I want to hear from you. What is your thing? 503-417-7575. You were a kid. What signaled wealth to you? Leave it here.
2: B-F-F-T. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald-faced truth.
0: I shared this story before the break. When I was a kid, it was an ice machine on your refrigerator door. If I went to your house and I saw that, I thought, oh, man, they are affluent. They're making it. It wasn't until, hell, Anna, it wasn't until you you, (laughs) that I had an ice machine on our door. Really? I realize now it's not that big a deal. I leveled you up. You leveled me up. I never had one either growing up. Though. <laughs> My parents, I don't, think they, I don't think they have one even now. No. Like, you know, yeah. they're a little bit old school. Yeah, I like that Maybe about them. Maybe I should them. buy them a fridge. They
8: won't like it. They won't like having yeah. that option. It
0: confuses They'll them. They'll be like, no, we'll leave our ice trays alone. <laughs> Anna, you said it was having kids' canvas shoes. Like real Keds,
8: not the ones that were like imposters.
0: Real Keds shoes. Mm -hmm. That was not a thing for me, but it was for you. I want to ask the listeners, tell us, what made you think someone was wealthy? What's that little thing? Even if you grow up now and you go, oh, that wasn't that big a deal. But as a kid, can you remember what making it looked like? 503-417-7575 is the phone number. Peter, what popped into your mind?
10: It it was two things, really, that popped into my mind. And the the first one was uh, other kids being able to uh, have their birthday party, say, at a Baskin-Robbins instead of having it at home. And if (laughs) And if you're home, and I'm dating myself, you know, John, I'm in my early to mid-40s here. If you had a CD player in the 80s, those were a little rare. They sounded great. There's always some guy, usually a bachelor, who is obsessed with sound quality, and he had the big booming speakers, too. But the CD player was always, always the sign. We had a
0: CD player in my car. I can listen to whatever I want. I don't have to rewind it. I don't have to do anything more. Let's go to the phone lines. Let's go to Josh, who's in Roseburg listening to 1490 AM. Josh and Roseburg, what's on your mind?
5: Hey, John. uh, First off, I
0: appreciate you
5: shouting out 1490. I'm actually listening on the app right now because they're playing a Doc Stewart baseball game on the radio. Ah. Uh, But when I was a kid, I was in a lot of sports, and uh, it made sense kind of that a lot of kids had Under Armour for game days. But if you wore Under Armour to practice, (laughs) I thought you were wealthy.
8: Yeah, like the brand. The brand,
5: yeah, the brand. Normally, like the quick dry shirts, you know.
0: Yeah, yeah. interesting. Yeah,
5: the, that's pretty the, much the, all they had when they were starting. Yeah,
11: yeah.
0: it was like fancy underclothes, uh-huh. is what he's talking about.
8: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, and some of that's true because that stuff was expensive when yeah. it came out. Yeah. You know, I had a kid that we went to high school with, and I didn't realize it till later that he wore regular sweatpants to baseball practice. Everybody else had baseball pants on. Mm-hmm. And people kind of made fun of him. You know, I didn't. Yeah. But a couple other kids made fun of him. And I realize now that I look back, it's probably all he had. Mm-hmm. Probably didn't have an extra pair of baseball pants yeah. that his parents were going to buy. Mm-hmm. You know, and then I look back and I go, gosh, what, you know, why didn't I recognize that mm-hmm. at that age? Because sometimes I think when we're that age, we're so consumed with ourselves. So consumed oh, with what that, we're that, wearing. Just that age. <laughs> but we're doing, I, I did this as a test one time it, in, in radio when we were going in downtown all the time, you know, pre-pandemic. I wore the same damn clothes like five, six days in a row. <laughs> Nobody said anything, at least not to my face. I just walked in. I had on the same sweatshirt I had on the same pants and <laughs> the same shoes. And I don't think people, I don't think we're looking at each other. They're not.
8: We're not. You know? We're not.
0: Nobody said anything. Yeah. Maybe they talked behind my back, and they're like, geez, look at that guy. Wearing the same sweatshirt today again. <laughs> but I, I kind of think we're, we're still preoccupied with ourselves. What is it that you thought made somebody wealthy? What was a sign of wealth when you were a kid that you now realize maybe not that big a deal? 503-417-7575 is the number. Paul's in Forest Grove. Paul's going to help us out. What was it, Paul? I have two of them. First of all, I grew up in the 50s. So if you had a TV,
12: a console, a stereo, and a radio all in one big unit, you were wealthy. So <laughs> yes. it's a big combination. It was huge. It was like eight feet long and three feet high. <laughs> yeah. So to get one of those, you were wealthy. And the second one is if you had brought your own bat to baseball instead of the one. Oh, yeah. So if yes. You really? Bat, you had money because nobody else had money league supplied all the bats and gloves so that was a big deal
0: that was a big deal i remember that i i I got a a easton big barrel bat when i was about 12 Mm -hmm. and that was a christmas present in fact that's all i got that christmas and i was ecstatic because i got a bat and then i could i went to the little league games and that was my bat because he's right. The caller's right. You always had, like, the community bats to use. Mm-hmm. And the community bats were great at the beginning of the season. But after they'd been through, like, you know, umpteen practices and games, they, you know, they were a little worn out. It wasn't your own. Uh, Chris in the Gorge on Twitter says as a kid in the 80s, he had a friend whose parents owned a big projector TV. He thought they were rich, same as that color. How about a satellite dish? I, I used to see those people had those giant satellite dishes yeah. that, like, you felt like the astronauts could not <laughs> see. Yeah. And I think those things <laughs> were uh, potentially a sign of wealth. <laughs> yeah, it was yeah. So,
8: not the kind that goes on your roof. We're talking like the old school in the yard satellite dish that you sometimes required. Like we had one at the motel. But that's because we had a motel, and we had to put a chain-link fence around that thing. Yeah. Like That thing was a monstrosity. Nobody
0: was t- stealing that thing. Yeah. Let's go to Jaime, who's in Woodburn. Jaime, what is that thing? Yeah, hello. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, you're good. All right, good. Hey, long time. This John. Thank you.
11: you. Thank you. Your, your column's great. But, hey, to be honest, Big fan of Anna. back the show when she was on, on local TV. <laughs> Thank you. For the record, I do not have an ice machine or our refrigerator going up. Uh, But my dad was big on entertainment, and we were one of the first ones when cable came out. Mm. And me and my brother would charge a quarter. It is what it is on TV, but a quarter got you a TV uh, uh, spot on on, on our living room. (laughs) And we were just poor, uh, but people thought we were just extremely rich. (laughs) You you charged your friends to come over and watch cable TV in your living room? (laughs) Me and my brother were quite the entrepreneurs.
0: I love it. What did you now? What are you and your brother doing now that you're grown up? Uh, I work for a state federation of teachers, and my brother
11: has now retired after being a um, one of those guys who buys themselves sells uh, property.
0: Yeah, y- your brother he saw the angle all the way through, didn't he? Oh
11: yeah, he was always thinking of a way to make a nickel.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Amen to that, Jaime. Yeah. Amen. Amen.
11: Yeah. Hey. 70s, you like a You're doing good.
0: hey, let me ask you, Jaime, because you listened for a long time. You finally picked up the phone today. Thank you for doing that. Yeah. What, what was different today versus the days you don't pick up the phone?
11: Uh, you know, um, I, I, I don't know. I, 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 I do a lot of traveling on the road. I try to listen to you guys uh, from your, you know, and you've changed a couple of hours. But I just enjoy the whole atmosphere that you guys provide. And that just, for course, regular day-to-day stuff.
0: Thank you. Appreciate you on that. There's Jaime calling in from Woodburn. Mark is in Portland. Mark, what was that thing growing up that you thought made somebody wealthy?
6: Anybody that didn't have to work in the summer and was laying on their butts by the pool and, you know, their, their parents had nicer cars. I grew up with five, you know, I had to fight for the last bedroom. So, I mean, you know, I slept on the couch the last three years in high school and, I had a paper out. I had to pay for my own clothes from the eighth grade. So the people that that had really nice clothes and nicer than mine, and you know, did, never had to to. They got to go to Disneyland and all kinds of vacations that never happened for me growing up. So um, yeah, that was the separation. It was the sixties and seventies was just a little different as yeah. far as yeah. I mean, we didn't have the iPhones and all that stuff. So we were out, you know, playing sports and work but our parents made us work and that that's kind of like cruel and unusual punishment today to kids <laughs> now it
8: is <laughs> yeah, shouldn't be what do you mean I should just be part of growing up conversely people who could ski in the winter yeah. time like anybody that went to the mountain that costs and skied, money. like he's talking about people lazing around in the summer and for me i'm yeah. like who who could afford yeah. to ski i'll give you
0: one that i thought <laughs> meant you were wealthy like when we had four kids in our family yeah My parents, it was a special occasion if we went to a restaurant that had, like, a server, okay? (laughs) It was also, and I didn't, I I don't even know if I'm over this now. When we traveled, we would go and we would stay at, like, a travel lodge. Yeah. That the door was facing the parking lot. Yeah. It was a big deal to me when I became a (laughs) grown-up to go into, like, a motel that had a lobby yeah and then I would stay in the lobby and walk down the hallway to a room instead yeah. of being like opening the door and there's a Chevrolet you know <laughs> what I mean like a motor lodge or whatever yeah. it was a big deal like i I had this romantic idea that like a holiday inn or best Western was like making it. <laughs> Like, look at them. They get to stay in that, in the best Western. Well, isn't that the difference between a motel yeah.
8: and a hotel? Is it?
0: I don't even know. I
8: always thought that. I mean, yeah. we ran a motel. So yeah. that's what had. We, we had 28 yeah. units. Every unit faced the parking lot.
0: Right. So, yeah. Yeah. And I thought, like, making it yeah. was if I could get to the Holiday Inn, <laughs> you know? And I realize now, like, okay, that was kind of in my head a little bit. I don't know. Ken's in Wilsonville. Ken, what is that thing?
5: Well, that's funny you just said about the difference between a hotel and a motel. A hotel is a rooms facing in. A motel is a motor yeah. hotel okay. to where it fix difference. out. So yeah. some, you probably knew that, right? Well, well no. Anyway, but my yeah, big you know, thing—Google it. My big thing was Levi jeans mm. uh, in the late '60s, early '70s. I had friends that had. Levi jeans, and I could never achieve to get them. It was just so frustrating. I even I picked berries. I did everything I could, but I just couldn't afford them.
0: Do you now buy all kinds of Levi's for yourself?
5: Uh, you know, I'm a Wrangler man myself now. <laughs>
0: but,
5: uh, <laughs> uh, you know, the Levi's just don't fit me quite right, but you know what I mean. Anyway, yeah. you grow up. I'm 60 years old, but, yeah, I, I love your show, too, by the way. Thank and you. Uh, I love having Anna on there all the time and uh, you guys do a great job bringing up stuff like this. This is a great topic.
0: Thank you. Thank you. I would love to take credit for it, but Anna, during the break, kind of said, hey, what is that thing that you you thought, Megan? I said, that's a good topic. Brent's in Milwaukee. Brent, what do you got?
12: Thanks for the call. Well, there were two things that came to mind. I was growing up, I always played football, but I I was a lineman. I was a fat kid. So, for me, whenever someone had a fully stocked, like, pantry just full of the best snacks that was always a sign of right at least they know how to treat their kids right (laughs) um but, but playing football um when i was in high school it was during the onset of the new like fancy looking speed face masks for all the new helmets
0: yes so there was
12: always there was always like a jv safety or a jv defensive back whose parents dropped some dough on a brand new helmet yep and all of the other kids got the old Riddell or basic Revolution helmets. So that was my sign was some kid who's getting five minutes playing time per game is wearing the nicest helmet out there.
0: Yeah, there you go. I used to uh, bring my helmet home and I would do my own maintenance on it. I later found out I probably shouldn't have been doing that. Like I would take the helmet apart. I would take all the snaps off it. I would take the chin strap off. I take the face mask off. I could replace. I got to the point where I could replace the. Uh, the uh, rivets and the uh, and the snaps that were on the helmet. And then I would just take the whole thing apart, clean it out. I even polished the helmet, made it look nice. <laughs> but then he, he, the colours right. You show up to practice, and some freshman or sophomore parent, uh, kid, you know, parent uh, would buy their kid like a fancy face mask that hmm. wasn't quite available to the rest of us. Hmm. But I, to me, that wasn't making it. It was just kind of obnoxious. <laughs> <laughs> that they did that i also think a swimming pool was one of those things we did not oh, have yeah. a swimming pool and in our neighborhood only one family did mm-hmm. and they would barely let like the, we were not allowed to go over there it's like they were worried about anybody swimming in it you know but we were well aware on the days like this week in the state of oregon where it was in the 90s We were well aware that they had a swimming pool. Yeah. You could hear the splashing and the giggles coming from down the street.
8: Well, and see, growing up in Portland, very, very few people even had swimming pools. But for me, if somebody had a hot tub, I was like, oh, you were rich.
0: They were making it. Yeah. You got a hot tub? I relate to the cable TV guy, too, because Mm -hmm. I've I've talked about that. Like, we had hardly any channels. And I actually think it was a good thing that we had hardly any channels because sometimes there was nothing on. And we just went, oh, you we got to go do something else. Yeah. And I went and read a book or, you know, went out in the backyard and did play-by-play as I was playing, a you know, a baseball game by myself. That's right, by myself. That will explain to you a lot as I went play-by-play in the backyard, you know, throwing the ball up and hitting it, playing a whole nine-inning game till sundown. Sean, what was that thing for you? What was making it?
9: I want to rattle off a couple. Um, how many stories is your home? You know, is it one story? Is it two stories? Mm-hmm. Is it three stories? If we're, we're talking three stories, we're really talking there. Um, clothes, obviously. Someone brought up Levi's. I would do the same thing with Nike. Like, you could always tell, like, when someone, you know, because Nike stuff's not cheap, and, like, the employee store is right in Beaverton, so you could always tell, like, if someone's got the top Nike gear, then they spent spend some money on that. And then the last one was hobbies. You know, like, someone mentioned skiing. That's an obvious cue. Even like longboarding was a cue, you know. You have your skateboarders and you have your longboarders, and longboard longboards are expensive. And there was a lot of people like in my neighborhood that were just kind of, or you know, just like in the community that were uh, riding longboards around, and that was always a cue as well.
0: Love that longboards. We could not, we couldn't have a skateboard in our neighborhood. We didn't have paved roads. <laughs> we had gravel. It would be really cool to have a skateboard, but we would call that uh, just like it would be a stand that you're standing on because it's not going to roll anywhere. All right, the 5 at 5, we're late on it, but we're going to give it to you after this break.
2: You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game.
0: appreciate everybody who's reading, who has subscribed at johnconzano.com. If you want to read my columns, that's where you read me now. I had a column this morning about the Pac-12 conference. Included a third AD in the Pac-12 saying that he believes that the conference will uh, galvanize and stick stick together, the ten remaining members at least. Also wrote uh, a little bit uh, about Chip Kelly and UCLA in football. They, are, they have not contended for a playoff berth in the Pac-12, uh, what makes anyone think they can contend in the Big Ten, or are they just signaling to the rest of us that they are a basketball school moving forward? You can read it at johnconzano.com. gets delivered right to your email inbox every morning if you are subscribed, and I appreciate everybody who is reading. Anna, let's do the 5 at 5.
2: The 5 at 5.
0: Well, the Orlando Magic have shut Palo Banquero down for the remainder of summer league. He played two games. The number one pick averaged 20 points a game, six assists, five rebounds. The Magic then shut him down because they said, hey, we want to evaluate some other players this summer. Want to give some other guys an opportunity. R.J. Hampton, Admiral Schofield among those who are also going to get the remainder of Summer League off. But uh, Bancaro played two games, played well, 20 points a game. The Magic happy with the number one pick. Anna, go. Well, we're not done talking
8: about LIV yet. Department of Justice now investigating whether the PGA that punished players for signing with LIV Golf They're investigating whether the PGA engaged in anti-competitive practices. This is according to the Wall Street Journal. Agents of players have been contacted by the antitrust division of DOJ. They're asking about the tour's rules preventing players from playing in other golf events and the punishment of those players who did wind up signing with LIV. The PGA spokesperson is saying, this isn't... This was not unexpected. We went through this back in 94. We're confident in a similar outcome. I guess the Federal Trade Commission looked into the PGA back in the mid-90s for its rules barring players from participating in rival tournaments, but FTC dropped that investigation in 95.
0: Look, uh, some of the players who are joining the LAV Tour are making a business decision. Right, They're going, hey, I like the $100 million signing bonus and the guaranteed money. I'm going to go do that. I think the PGA is going to be okay on this front, but feels to me like this is a strike back by some of the players who are saying, hey, we want the ability to float between the PGA and the LIV tours. I don't think that's going to happen. Third thing in our five at five. Officials investigating Marion Barber III's death say that the former Dallas Cowboy and Chicago Bear running back died of heat stroke. This is in Texas. We were just talking earlier in the show with a guest who was visiting us from Texas, but apparently he died in the suburbs of Dallas. 38-year-old was found dead in his apartment. He was leasing an apartment, former Minnesota Golden Gopher, fourth round draft pick by the Dallas Cowboys, spent six seasons in the NFL, scored 24 touchdowns, made a Pro Bowl, played his final season in Chicago 11 years ago, he was found dead, dead of heat stroke in his apartment, dead at the age of 38. Medical examiner says it was an accident, he died of heat stroke. I really feel like as there's a really severe heat wave going on in the middle of the country right now. That these kinds of stories, and I used to do these stories all the time when you were anchoring.
8: Yeah, that's a really weird one. The thermostat was set to 91 degrees, and the heat was set to on in his apartment. He would died in sauna like conditions. He was found in his shower of the master bedroom. What was he doing? exercising in... Well, investigators said that there was exercise equipment present at the scene, so he may have been exercising in these crazy conditions, and he was not found for several weeks. Uh. The water had been running in the tub in the guest bathroom, and that water apparently leaked to some other units, and
0: that's why the discovery was made oh man yeah it's really sad um he was known to have a history of medical problems and some mental health concerns i think it's a good reminder in these times we always talk about it in our state when it's cold weather check on people welfare checks especially elderly do it with the heat as well Anna, go number four in our five at five
8: Okay, so you know how we've talked about Derek Jeter and the gift baskets that he would allegedly send home with women that he had hooked up with? Yeah, I
0: know some guys who would like those gift baskets, too.
8: Swag bags, (laughs) Derek Jeter's booty hops. So he's never addressed it, right? This was a report from the New York Post going back to 2011. He has never addressed it. But there's a documentary coming out now, a docu-series on ESPN, seven parts, called The Captain. And yes, it's about him. And he talks about it in the docu-series. He says that it's totally fabricated, that it's a story that became larger than life, that it never happened. He is disputing that it happened. He also says there was a time at a Starbucks when a guy came up to him and said, Hey, I just want to let you know that I'm giving out gift baskets because you did. He turned around and told the guy, you're an idiot.
0: (laughs) I want to be like Derek Jeter.
8: He said the look on the guy's face. He thought Derek Jeter was going to be like, hey, good job, guy. But no. (laughs)
0: so not true he says not true what what would your reaction be you gotta speak as the female member of this show Anna yeah let's go back in the day you know you you're on a date or whatever you get a gift basket on your way out come on turn off major turn off (laughs) There you go. (laughs) (laughs) Novak Djokovic is your Wimbledon champion. The Joker won his fourth straight Wimbledon title, 21st win overall on Sunday. Early deficit, but uh, fought his way back to win his seventh Wimbledon title. Did you guys watch Wimbledon at all? Did you guys pay attention to kind of what was going on? Were you more into it, less into it than a normal year?
9: Uh, I didn't get to watch it a lot. I wish I did because I really enjoy tennis when I watch it, but I just never caught it.
10: I'd say less into it.
0: Peter, were you into Wimbledon?
10: No, no, I'm not a big tennis fan. I respect it and admire it. It just doesn't. It just doesn't do it for me.
0: It normally doesn't, but I was kind of into the, kind of the drama, and you had obviously uh, Kyrios. Is that how we say his name?
11: Mm-hmm.
0: He Nick Kyrios was. He was colorful. I thought he added some interest to Wimbledon, and you know he's pointed out pointed out the woman. Said you know he wanted her kicked out. She had had like seven hundred drinks. <laughs> he was, uh... <laughs> and there was there was a bromance at the end, as the Joker kind of said, "Hey, you know what?" Uh, gave gave some respect to his opponent, and I thought it was interesting to kind of see tennis deal with kind of the year 2022 at wimbledon like it was all of a sudden like welcome to every sports enterprises awakening (laughs) tennis just happened a little later that's our five at five five biggest things going on man what what was the weirdest story in there (laughs) Was it the barber story that you know he's in he's in his apartment apparently working out when it's there's a heat wave going on he dies of heat exhaustion? Was it uh, what what's what was the weirdest story that we what we talked about in there?
9: Uh, I don't want to equate someone's death to being weird, although that is kind of an unusual way to die, and that's certainly a uh, a sad, a really sad death because uh, the the Barber brothers were like, I remember w- reading a book about them um, and their kind of brotherhood, and the, both those guys were uh, NFL stars. I think it was Peyton and Marion Barber, um, and yeah, that's super tragic what happened to him, and then on the topic of Nick Kyrios, you're right, he was super colorful. He was uh, kind of you know, super entertaining throughout all of Wimbledon. And I don't know if you saw the highlight, but I was just watching the highlights of the title match. And this guy was doing some crazy things with the tennis racket. Like he did this behind the or between the leg shot, made it look so yeah. casual. And uh, it was a lot of fun to just watch the highlights. I wish I watched it live. I
0: just liked him too because the old stuffy tennis media was on him for wearing his red Air Jordans out to center court. And they said, you know, what, are you above the rules? And he said, no. And they said, well, other players are not allowed to dress like that and come out onto the court. Uh, They have to be in tennis attire when they come out. Like, you know, what makes you think you're above the rules? And he said, hey, you know, you're talking about me. Any publicity is good publicity. It's great for me. And I do think that is kind of like the modern, uh, you know, the modern athletes rally cry. Like, hey, you you know, good or bad, you're talking about me. I just thought he added a little bit of intrigue and drama to the to the you know, and he had a bet with uh, with uh, Djokovic uh, after you know that you know they would go to go out for drinks, go out to dinner after, and you know the winner had to pay. And so um, I just thought it was it brought me in. I don't know if it brought other people in, but I thought it was I thought it was relatively good for the game, so to speak.
8: I think, uh, you know, in the women's side, it was interesting. The Grand Slam title winner, Elena Ribikina, joining Venus Williams as the only woman ranked outside the WTA's top 20 to win that title since 1975. Sounds like she had a decent round at Wimbledon this year. And and,
9: and Djokovic isn't exactly – he's not in the clear either for being controversial. Like, he – Believe wasn't, what's the story behind Djokovic? Do you remember, John, like he, uh, Djokovic, excuse me, he um, refused to be vaccinated. And I believe he was, you know, he was not allowed to play in a lot of major tournaments for a while for that reason.
0: Uh, interesting. Yeah. And uh, here he is at Wimbledon and all as well. And I, I thought at least it got some, it got some people talking about tennis that might not have been able to, might not have normally been talking about tennis Uh, Punch it audio is coming up. We got the best sound from all around. We got it right here.
2: Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750, The Game.
0: Radio show sailing along. We've got Punch-It Audio. It is the best sound from all around. What do we have? Well, we're, we'll talk a little bit about Kyrie Irving and the Lakers. We'll talk about Damian Lillard and the Blazers. Uh, you know, uh, damians is he getting criticism for staying in Portland, or is he just talking about that? We'll talk about that in this segment. Plus, Oregon got a big-time signing in college football. Got a commitment in college football. We'll talk about Dante Moore to Oregon. Big-time get for the Ducks. Let's do it. We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from
2: the Bald Truth
10: Headquarters. Hey, we're all about truth, justice, and the American way here, okay? Which is why we've spanned the globe and pulled the top audio cuts of the day. You're going to hear
0: little snippets of
10: sound. Hey, it's time for Punch It Audio, presented
2: by
0: First Call Heating and Cooling. Five-star quarterback Dante Moore committed to the Oregon Ducks on Friday. Number eight overall prospect in the 2023 class. Highest-ranked commitment for Dan Lanning and the Ducks. 6'3", 200-pound quarterback from Detroit, Michigan. Pocket passer. He said Dan Lanning's going to be a great head coach. He knows what it takes to get to the national championship game from being at Georgia. Here's Josh Pate talking about more to the Ducks. Punch it.
9: You can't overstate how huge this is for them now. His game, when you listen to our evaluators and you listen, to even some of the NFL guys who have looked at him, they talk about two things. Number one, technically, his game is a little advanced relative to even some of the other elite quarterbacks out there. It's why I don't think our recruiting guys have just resigned themselves to Arch Manning being our number one quarterback. I still think that's very up in the air. Dante Moore could very well be in the running for that. The second thing they say is you look at him physically; he's there. He's college ready and I stood about two feet from him and talked to him last week, interviewed him actually and can confirm that. Really physically imposing, really physically impressive, um, the, 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 the polish on the game, it's not something where you look at him and say, ooh, man he's wrong, two years minimum. Redshirt him, that's not the situation, he'll be able to compete immediately at Oregon. Huge get for Dan Lanning. Huge get for Dan Lanning, big loss for Jim Harbaugh,
0: who loses another big time recruit from the state of Michigan. This coming in the wake of the Pac-12 sort of teetering a little bit is interesting to me. And I think if you're a Pac-12 football fan, you kind of hold this up as evidence that, you know, maybe it's not as bad as everybody says it's going to be. Kids still want to go to Oregon because it's Oregon. I think that's a, uh, that is a positive if you spin it that way. Kendrick Perkins... Says he respects Damian Lillard's decision to stay in Portland, but if it were him, he'd want out. Here's Perkins. Punch it. All right, two years,
8: $122 million for Damian Lillard to uh, extend his time in Portland. Perk, I'm going to ask you this question. Should he want out of Portland?
1: <clears throat> you know what? He should, um, but I respect it. Let me tell you why. One, I always want guys to get their money, get their letters, get, get as much money as you possibly can. So shout out to Dame Dollar for signing that 122 million extension for two years. Here's the thing, right? When I look at Damian Lillard and I look at the situation, I don't think he can ask to get out of Portland. Because he's been so, he's been so he's been so outspoken when it comes down from to being committed, to being loyal, from not running from the grind, that if he does happen to want out of Portland, I think it would kind of look bad on Dane. And I think Dane is a man that's going to stand on his uh, morals, stand on his principles, and so I have to respect it. But if I was Dane, hell yeah, I would want out of Portland.
0: Damian Lillard not singing that tune. I understand why Kendrick Purchase is saying what he's saying, but Lillard is saying, look, people on the outside, they can say whatever they want. Punch
2: it. Uh, first of all, I just want to uh... – say how thankful i am you know how honored i am to be a part of such a great organization um and just having a different level of pride about it you know what i mean i get a lot of um, people on the outside telling me what i should do um telling me you know everything that goes against what i believe
0: that's lillard speaking on friday from summer league maggie and perloff questioned the max extension that the blazers gave lillard this is from Maggie Gray and guest host Sean Marash. Punch it. I'm very mixed on this, Maggie, my initial reaction, because in a league where we talk about, and we've talked about how much nauseam today, of player empowerment, yeah, right? And all everybody wants to hop around, hop around. Let me team up with this guy. Let me team up with this guy. I want out. I'm not happy. Damian Lillard should be applauded. Fine, take every last dollar. Be loyal. That's the team that drafted you. It's It's refreshing in a way. But then on the flip side, as I'm saying that, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, is Damian Lillard just resorted to the fact that he's never going to win a title? When you try to stay in Portland for that long, nobody's coming to play with Lillard. Well, <sighs> you
6: just traded for Jeremy Grant. Okay. So here's the thing about that, right? You, Yes, you want to be loyal to someone who's been loyal to you. But is there a point where it's bad money? You know, that's the other thing about Lillard, who I think is transcendent in all time great player this is not a knock on him but ask yourself like how is his game going to age this is a guy who's had some definite injury concerns as we saw last season barely played and so now you're going to be offering him max money are you sure you're throwing
0: good money at this look i think you have to throw the money at lillard if you're the blazers at this point it's a little bit of a chess game because if if you don't then he is an asset that is diminished you got him under contract. It's not like somebody can go, hey, all we have to do is wait a year, wait two years, and we'll get Lillard as a potential free agent. No, this, as a Blazer organization move, I think makes sense from a strategy standpoint. You keep Lillard, you see how he does coming off the abdominal surgery. You also then, they'll have to get real about uh, what, what Maggie is saying there. I think it's a valid point. How is he going to age? What is he going to be? And I think if you're the Blazers, you've got to figure out, does your timeline line up with Lillard's timeline? And to me, that's the bigger question relative to his age, relative to the contract. I mean, it's all Monopoly money anyway in the NBA. But if you are the Blazers, if your timeline doesn't line up, if you can't compete at the highest level with Damian Lillard there, what are you doing? At some point, you've got to turn him into your future. You can't just let him evaporate into dust. Finally, Brian Windhorse talking about Kyrie Irving and the Lakers. This was last week, but I'm playing it on purpose. This is where Kyrie Irving and the Lakers were on Friday. Punch it. The reality is yes. that
13: the market for Kyrie Irving is very narrow. And it's not just narrow. I mean, again, it, when I talk about the market, I'm not talking about the player's talent. This is a question about the market. Kyrie is an extremely talented player. But at $36 million with one year on his contract, it is hard to find teams that have the construction to offer who are going to accept the risk. And you can spend five minutes or you can spend five hours looking at it. And you're going to come down to one answer. The only team is the Los Angeles Lakers. And all they have to offer, any trade with the Lakers. And that's, for Kyrie Irving, has got to have Russell Westbrook in it. It's just got to. And he makes $11 million more. And at this point, when they both play, he is a downgrade of talent. And that $11 million more for a downgrade in talent means the deal gets more complex. And that's where you run into roadblocks. And so I think this is eventually going to happen. But I think it's going to be a fight along the way.
0: Yeah, it's going to have to be creative. But the Lakers... Uh, You know, the NBA is buzzing about this in Vegas. Scouts are split on it, depending on which story you read. They say, oh, this would be a great move, be a bad move. But I think it's going to be a tricky move, first and foremost. Irving to the Lakers to replace Russell Westbrook. Well, of course, if you're a Laker fan, you want that, because you see it as an upgrade. You don't want more of the failures of last season. But, you know... It was weird on Friday night in Vegas because I read a story on Yahoo that said LeBron and Russell Westbrook both were there in Vegas at the Lakers' opening game, but they never acknowledged each other. They never acknowledged each other. Like, that doesn't feel to me like it's a Lakers organization that has congruency of vision. That is Punch-It Audio, the best sound from all around. we got some parting thoughts coming up. We're going to lead you right into the pulse with Peter Sampson right here on 750 The Game. Leave it locked in right here.
2: Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game.
0: Well, this Friday, Walt Wolf, who is an alumnus of the University of Oregon and a scholarship football player from 1958 to 1962, uh, will be inducted into the Pac-12 Field of Honor and Hall of Fame at uh, Sun Devil Stadium in Arizona. Uh, He also served as a Pac-8 and Pac-10 football official for 33 years. Uh, University of Oregon, State of Oregon. I think a lot of people here should be aware that uh, Walt Wolf is uh, going into the Hall of Fame. Lives in Spokane now. I want to get him on the show uh, because I want to talk to him about back in the day what it was like. Um, you know, he started his officiating career in Portland, Oregon in 1966. He was calling the uh, Oregon high school games. Then he went into the NIIA, then he went into the Big Sky Conference, then he went into the Pac-8 in 1971, and then in the Pac-10, uh, where he retired in 2005 in the Pac-10. So this was a guy who uh, called the national championship game in, uh, between USC and Notre Dame once upon a time, and he uh, was uh, officiating the first uh, ever BCS national championship game Florida State-Tennessee played in 1999, so well uh, illustrious career, tremendous career for Walt Wolf, and he is going into the Pac-12, Pac-10 Hall of Fame. What are we calling it now? Pac-10, Pac-12? I don't know. Uh, but Walt Wolf, uh, i got to get him on the show. Peter Sampson, what do you have coming up on The Pulse?
10: Yeah, I mean, we're going to talk the Damian Lillard uh, extension and what that means for the future of the team. I mean, (laughs) I know someone's going to find a way to say that, well, this means he wants out, but it's kind of interesting that we can just finally, at least it seems to me, take him in his word that better or worse, he wants to be here.
0: Better or worse, he wants to be here. I don't blame the Blazers for extending him, but I got to say, Peter, at some point, if they sort of recognize, like, look, it's not happening in the next two seasons – it's not happening in the next thirty-six months. I, what I don't want to see is I don't want to see him age out to the point where he is not worth the fifty or sixty million dollars a year they're paying him. Or I don't want to see him sort of just reach the end of his career and the Blazers go, "Well, we got a piece of paper for the deal." You know, like you got to turn him into your future at some point. And and look, if they see a light at the end of the tunnel, great, go for it. But if not, I think at some point you got to come to the realization that even though he wants to be here, the organization has to do what's best for the organization.
10: Yeah, I mean, if I'm being real, I I don't think you're wrong and I think that in, unless he maintains an incredibly high level of play John, I think you're going to be really disappointed in 4 years cuz if he really really fails and then you know or declines, I should say, and it's time we have to reboot this, we have to start over, you're not going to be able to trade that contract at you no. know 59 million bucks. No. He's going to be here, man. It's going to be a dirk situation. Let's just hope he can uh, maintain his high level of play.
0: Yeah, but it's like Dirk's situation without the title, right? right? right. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. like if if Dame won a championship two years ago, I there's a different there's a different loyalty factor because for me, like everybody is celebrating his loyalty, and I think it's great. It's different than what you see in a lot of corners of uh, the sports world right now, but it's not like he's staying just out of loyalty. He's made more money than he ever could have made had he left like he, because he is eligible as a player the Blazers drafted because he is uh, you know you know taking advantage of the supermax and all has made money that he wouldn't have made if he had pulled the act that Kevin Durant or James Harden had pulled in getting out of Oklahoma City or Chris Paul getting out of New Orleans eventually so I'll be curious to see what the Blazers turn him into and I also want like I want him to be healthy. How confident are you that he is going to be okay or be like the dame of two seasons ago? Coming out of the abdominal surgery.
10: If we're talking just this year, ninety nine point nine percent. The the way the injury was, and historically, uh, the recovery from that is, is it's essentially you come out better than you were. It's not like oh you you always have that bad knee after you had an operation. So I'm not concerned about this year, maybe even next year, but after that, you start to wonder. I think his his game will age pretty well, but it's at a certain point, it declines. Coming.
0: Yeah, it is. I mean, father time coming for everybody in the end. But I'll be curious to see how the Blazers play this. I don't want to criticize them just to criticize them. But I think, you know, you make the move now, but you have to be nimble if you're the Blazers. And you have to recognize if it's just not happening, if there isn't a chance to compete at the highest levels, you eventually have to turn them into your future. But I fear that, you know, Portland overvalues its players to a fault and I fear that that may be what we end up with, as you pointed out. Peter Sampson and The Pulse coming up top of the hour right here in Portland. All right, we're back tomorrow. we got great guests on tomorrow's show. Uh, Dan Bickley, who hosts a uh, radio show in Phoenix, will be among our guests on tomorrow's show. Uh, I will effort uh, Dan Lanning and Jonathan Smith in the near term as well. A lot going on in the Pac-12. We'll have the latest and greatest. Uh, leave it locked in right here wherever you are.